Around Comics, Episode 33. From Chicago, this is Around Comics a weekly roundtable discussing topics in and around the world of comics. I'm your host, Christopher Neesman, and I'm joined, as always, by my partner in crime and the producer of the show, Brian Salazar. Hello, hello. We also have our monkey in the middle, Mr. Tom Caters. Hello. And our guest this week is a comic fan of 35 years and counting. He is super fan Bob Breedle. Hi. Super fan. Welcome to the show, Bob. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Bob. Thank, Thank you. It, Bob, Bob is has come all the way from Southern California just to be on the show. Guests guests of Around Comics stay at the Palmer House. Uh, nice. Right. Or if they just happen to be staying there, <laughs> they'll come right. get you and take the train. Here. We'll pick you actually, up. Actually, I think he's, he stayed in the room next to the guest of Oprah. Wow. Yeah. Did I? Yeah. I don't know. All I could hear was the uh, brown line train going by every five minutes myself. But, Which, uh, there, there's an old Blues Brothers quote, how often does that train go by? So often, you won't even notice it. Okay. Tom, Tom, and tells, me, Tom tells me it takes two weeks to not be able to uh, hear that yeah, anymore. Was I wasn't here quite it long only dera- Trains only derail once every three years here. They do not. There hasn't been a derailment since like 1979. No, there was the brown line one three years ago. Uh, no, they ran two over some ago. old lady. No, two trains collided and one got. Oh. So, yeah. Well, anyway, no look idea. it up. Uh, Google CTA. Hey, history. can we talk about comics? <laughs> All right. Th- this I thought this was uh, L train uh, around L train. Yeah, the yeah. around L train co- podcast. Your CTA podcast. <laughs> This episode of Around Comics is sponsored by YouBuyNow.com. <clears throat> Sal, can you tell the fine folks more about YouBuyNow.com? Sure. YouBuyNow.com, your spot on the web for toys, action figures, collectibles, and prop replicas. Check out their excellent selection of DC Direct, Marvel Legends, Master Replicas, Star Wars figures, and more. That's YOUBuyNow.com. And now, the good folks at YouBuyNow.com are offering a 10% discount to all Around Comics listeners. Just use the coupon code AROUNDCOMICS, all one word, when placing your order and receive an additional 10% off. That's YouBuyNow.com. Check them out today. Have you guys been there yet? Absolutely. Tom? I just bought a, uh, um, like, now I can't think of the name of it, uh, that monkey. Um, read the script. Read <laughs> yeah. the script. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> read the script. They told me. No, no. <laughs> no, I, uh, Marvel, what, it's actually the Marvel Legends, but it's Marvel Icons. The the Iron Man figure on there is freaking cool. So, yeah, I'm going to be spending all of our sponsorship money I don't uh, right, so. right back at them. So, no, that goes right into Sal's account. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys, Around Comics is recorded every Friday from 7 to 9 at Dark Tower Comics and Collectibles, located at 4835 Northwestern Avenue in Chicago. If you're in the area, please drop by. We would love to meet you. Uh, remember that uh, if you are here during show recordings, you get 20% off your purchases. Just mention Around Comics when you check out and receive 20% off. It is that easy. Uh, our June contest uh, came to great success. We had a, a, an awesome time with the haiku contest and our July contest our mid-July our mid-July mid contest is all set and ready to go um, Sal you want to tell folks about the July contest sure okay. the July contest is going to be a caption this contest and we're going to scan in a, uh, a very interesting page from a uh, old comic 
I'm going to take out all the letters uh, from the word balloons, and you are going to have to fill them in. And whoever does it the best or the funniest or whichever one we like the most will win a, uh, a free trade of their choice, $24.95 or less. And also, as a special bonus prize, you're going to win 10 25-cent books hand-selected by our very own Tom Caters. You yeah. may you may get such wonderful things. It's a surprise. You won't know yeah. until you receive it. But you may get such wonderful things like the thing versus ROM yeah. or what I'm other. I'm sure they work other differences by the end. Brigade number four. I'm sure, I'm sure there's a misunderstanding at the beginning, and then by the end they've <laughs> come together to fight a common foe. Well, there's a. I'm sure there's a good moral yeah. to the um, story. I hear there's a lot of Rob Liefeld art in yeah. it. Oh, no, we're we're going we're going back farther than that. So, <laughs> um, Sal, how can people find the page? You go to our website under uh, the show menu heading. There's a page called contests, and it's not there yet, but it will be soon. Uh, we'll have that page on there, and you'll be able to download a PDF of it if you want, or a just a, uh, a picture of it. Or you don't even have to do it to the actual original page. You can just type it into an email. Uh, and just mark it, you know, word balloon one, word balloon two, whatever, and then the winner will uh, will will actually post um, it lettered. Uh, I think I'll hand letter it or something and uh, <laughs> like put it up there. Get those yeah, maybe we'll get like, you know, Tim Sale to do it or I don't know something. No, um, Steve Sealy lives here. He's a letter. Yeah, and uh, we'll uh, we'll put it up there and um, and you'll win. All right. And that's it. Um, one last thing before we get to uh, the meat of the show. If you uh, like Around Comics and download us through iTunes, please be so kind as to leave us a review at the iTunes Music Store. Just takes a couple minutes, and uh, we would really appreciate it. I left mine last week. Yay, thank you. And it was a great review. Thank you very much, Bob. You're so, very welcome. It's uh, a great I'll, show. I'll, I'll, pay you, uh, I'll pay you off after the show. Okay. If that's okay. All right. <laughs> well, guys, we... Uh, we loved getting a chance to talk with Michael Avon Oming and Ivan Brandon last week, but I think that we are all very glad to be back to our regular format this week. <sighs> uh, it was a crazy week of, uh, of recording, but those guys were great. Uh, please remember to um, pre-order the Cross Bronx or check it out when it comes out. They were great, but uh, I think we're we're uh, glad to be back to our regular topic dis- discussion with uh, Wire to Wire Comic News. I was so and, disappointed uh, from mm-hmm. last week. You know, I, I sat and listened to the episode after mm-hmm. editing it. And I said, you know, we talked to Michael Avon Oming, and I didn't ask one Powers question. Yeah, and it's one. a book I love. You know, I've read I've read it from the beginning, and, and it's like I didn't. I didn't ask ever... me, and I'll and say what he would say. <clears throat> Tom, um, when Michael Avon Oming created Powers with Brian Bendis, what was the motivation behind having a ex superhero as the? I'd rather talk about Cross Bronx if oh. you don't mind. <laughs> Okay, let's on that note, maybe that's why I, I didn't <laughs> guys, w- w- let's let's stop uh, hogging the microphones. We have a comic fan here that has been collecting for about 35 years or so. And uh, when Bob emailed me and told me he was going to be in town this week, I thought it was a great opportunity to talk about how comics have changed over the last 35 years, and it opens up a world of discussion for us. We're talking about 35 years of comic books. But to give us a, um, a point of reference from where Bob started reading and collecting comics, uh, Bob, what was the very first comic that you remember reading? Uh, the first comic I remember reading was Amazing Spider-Man number 88. came out in the early 70s, I think around 1971. That was volume one, right? Volume one. <laughs> Not the uh, new stuff. Uh, Stan Lee and John Romita Sr., uh, what uh, uh, about that time, 1971? 
what else was coming out at that time? Like, where where were the FF in 1971? First FF I remember reading, and I don't. It was probably maybe a year after that, but the first FF I read was 97, okay. um, right before Jack stopped doing that book. Um, first Iron Man I read was in the 70s somewhere. I'm not exactly sure the issue. I was a total Marvel zombie when I first started. I was like 10 years old, and I, I went into the, the different Marvel books. So I remember Captain America. It was uh, the first issue I read was uh, 130-something. It had a uh, big Spider-Man cross. That's why I was drawn to it, because it had Spider-Man mm-hmm. on the cover, but it had Captain America and the Falcon. Spider-Man on the cover was in the 130s. Um, X-Men, I started reading... I remember reading a couple of the reprint books that they did in that period when they were reprinting some of the older ones, but I was right on board with Giant Size Number 1 and Number 94 onwards of that book. So, But, but I mean, you're not an old man. We're, we're, we're going to try and do our best to not I, make you sound like Father Christmas. I am 44. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, you're... Old-ish. You're, no, not not at all. You're you know, a fairly normal-looking guy. You've just been collecting comic books. Except for, for the hooks. F- yeah. yeah, the hooks for hands. <laughs> very hard to and, and it's very difficult to keep Easier my books to turn in mint the page condition. That way. You know, yeah, uh, hard to, where are all these holes in these books? <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, um, before we get into um, Bob's thoughts and our thoughts on how the industry has changed, uh, Bruce Rosenberger from Comics Cast was kind enough to send in an audio file for us and his views on how comics have changed over the last almost four decades. So uh, we'll be back in just a second, and uh, right now we're going to listen to Bruce Rosenberger. How comics have changed in 35 years. Great topic, guys. Um, it's Bruce R. here, and it's it's really kind of strange because this week um, I've been driving back and forth to work. I have a long commute both ways, and sometimes I'll turn off the iPod and I'll uh, you know start thinking about things that I want to talk about on my own uh, my own podcast. And this is actually kind of sort of related to one of the topics I was thinking of. So um, since you guys are doing it, I'm just gonna you know send some comments and uh, you know you guys can throw them around, but. Um, my comic reading actually goes back a little bit longer than most, uh, probably 40 to 45 years, you know. But um, I was, you know, I grew up with in the early 60s with, you know, the Superman and the Batman and, um, you know, the, the, the stories that had, they had a one-shot story. It was fun, boom, you were done. And then the next story was like a totally different subject. And once in a while they brought back a villain or whatever, but there was no real continuity. So then we moved into... Uh, you know, the, the the latter part of the 60s, and Marvel hit big. And Marvel had all these great stories with mythology behind them, with, with backstories. You know, you had Spider-Man, which each story was a separate story. You know, it might take one or two issues, but it was a separate story. But you had that whole really cool thing, his his whole life, his whole mess of a life, you know, in the background. And then you had the Fantastic Four, which, oh my God, the mythology and, and the... Um, uh, you know, the backstory there was just incredible, and it just kept building and building, you know, one thing on top of another, and it was just amazing. And, you know, let's face it, all that stuff's still being used these days, you know. Um, you know, Kirby moved on, he went over to um, DC, and he created the New Gods and the, the whole fourth world thing. And, and again, you know, he created this huge mythology that is still being used. I mean, in 52, it's, you know, the, the fourth world fourth world characters are in there. 
Um, I actually had to be reminded of that by uh, Scott Cedarland at uh, Wednesday's Hall. Uh, I didn't even notice up until that point, but in any event. So, okay, then we got into the, the 70s. Now, we had all these artists uh, coming out of the, the late 60s. We had, you know, Jim Steranko, we had Neil Adams, we had uh, just, you know, Barry Smith. I mean, we just had some incredibly talented people. And I think what happened was the comic book companies got away from the house style because they couldn't, uh, you know, they needed readers, you know, and the comics were going up in price. They, the newsstands were starting to drop them, although the comic shops were starting to come in at that point. You know, the whole distribution thing was starting to come in, which was a good thing for comics. But they wanted to give somebody, you know, people uh, something for their money, you know. You also had all these young guys that were like fanboys back in the 60s and all excited about the Marvel. Well, now Roy Thomas and... Uh, uh, you know who all the guys I mean, you know, from the 60s there, uh, into the 70s. Um, you had all these guys that came in and they were fanboys and they wanted to, they wanted to explain, you know, they wanted to, to explain why, uh, you know, Superman did this or, or the, you know, the, the whole backstory. They wanted to build that, you know, which was cool. And, and, and as a kid, I loved that stuff, you know. Um, they, they did sort of like the soap opera stories, which, in retrospect, are probably very weak stories, but at the time, you know, for a 14 or 15 year old, they were pretty excited. It was pretty exciting stuff. We moved into the 80s, and then there was this big rush of, you know, the comic book shops and all these small companies started putting out comics, and then there was this just um, an amazing amount of stuff. You know, there was good stuff, there was bad stuff, but. There, you know, you had the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. You had you had people putting out comic. Everybody was putting out a comic book in the 80s, and Marvel and DC said, "Whoa, wait a minute! These people are getting our money. You know, let's put out more. If if they've got more money to spend, let's put out more titles." They flooded the market. Um, you know, they put comic book shops out of business. They uh, they all they ran all these small companies out of business. But I, you know, it looks to me like that's what they were trying to do. Um, so they didn't want anybody else to have their money, you know. So then we, uh, you know, slowly, you know, built back up, you know, because you had a lot, of, you had a lot of good writers coming in now, you know. You had the Alan Moore, Neil Gaiman, Peter David. You had all these guys that were writing really good stories, you know. And then we got into the '90s. We got all these young hot artists, even in the '80s. You know, you had your Todd McFarlane, Eric Larson, Rob Leefield, um, and I'll leave it to you as to whether or not he's a good artist. But nevertheless, he was a hot artist. And these guys got together and they said, "Well, wait a minute. You know, Marvel's making all the money. We're doing all the work. We're going to put put out our own comics." But their credo was basically, "We're putting out comics that we that look good. You know, we're artists and we want to turn out stuff that looks good. We don't really care that much about the story." So. That brought in, you know, because the the cost of these comics or the the value of these comics were going up, that brought in all the speculators. And all the speculators, they were just glorified baseball card collectors. They didn't care about what was in the comic. They just wanted a fancy cover so they could, you know, put it in a plastic bag and sell it for six times what they paid for it the next day. And they almost killed the business, you know. I mean, and and, and I'm not blaming them. It was just a mishmash of everybody. But, you know, it, it... it almost killed the business. You know, all these, you know, foil covers and uh, eight different variant covers, hologram covers, you know, all that crap that, let's face it, you know, most people I've talked to almost got out of collecting comics in the 90s because it was such crap, you know. Once we realized we were just buying crap, we stopped. So then things, again, slowly started building back up and, and, and we're, we're headed into 
what right now is a really nice time. You know, we have all these we we have all these great writers. You know, we have all these great artists. They're putting together great comic books, and of course, there's some bad ones. But what what scares me though is there's this huge influx of of small companies, and I just see that whole '80s thing happening again. You know, Marvel and DC they don't want to lose their market. They feel like Hey, these are our dollars. You know, we're going to put out more titles. We're going to flood the market. You know, and and I'm starting to see an influx of those '90s style artists. And I know I've picked on David Finch, and I, and I don't mean to pick on anybody. I mean, but but that's the style of art that they were. Look at look at David Finch's artwork, and look at the '90s, and tell me he's not a. You know, he's just not a. Okay, maybe he's a little bit better than Rob Liefeld, but you know. It's that same thing over again, and, and it, it scares me. I, I don't want to see this happen again. And the prices are going up horrendously, and I, I'm just I'm just really scared about what's going to happen. You know, the good news is is sales are picking up on books. So I don't know. I guess that's how I see comics having changed in the last 35 years. I'd be curious to hear what you guys have to say. Talk to you later. All right, we'd like to thank Bruce for sending that in. I think that is a uh, really nice overview of four decades of comics. But he's insane. <laughs> well, no, that Bruce. I'm is a little it. disturbed that Bruce, like, he, he admitted that he actually turns his podcast, his his iPod off from time to time, and that disturbs me. He should never turn it off. Ever, ever, <laughs> ever, ever, because it'll die. But well, you know, as we were listening to that, Mark was whispering in my ear that that um, you know the, the the he got really worked up. Bruce did in that, and Mark got a little worked up because he, he was he was you know he he disagreed with his opinion on why comic so many comic shops closed in the in the nineties, but um, God willed it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He decided, but that could be a whole other topic. Yeah, I, I, think, I think we're going to get the bottom line of shops closing. I think Mark would agree is the probably poor business practices on many of the smaller yeah. comic shop owners, combined with poor. in the '90s the uh, Heroes World distribution thing that Marvel did, where discounts got cut mm-hmm. to the shops. That that really was the nail in the coffin, especially if you were in a bad place as far as smart business practices sure. that was the nail the final nail in well, the I, th- I think the biggest thing is that is that the market didn't stay large enough to sustain the amount of shops that were out there right. you had the boom in in comic sales that sustained that amount of shops but whenever those people stopped speculating those shops didn't have a customer base to support the stores, and no customers, and, no store. And God's will. And God's and will. And God's will. Well, I tell you what, guys. Um, uh, <laughs> I, I think that Bruce's that Bruce's segment was a great way to kind of overview that that you know sure. four decades. Uh, we're going to get into uh, some of the points that were brought up on our forum this week, and there was like 14 pages of printed post on the forum so i'm we're not going to read all of them Double kind of spacing. Hey, hey can i i just mm-hmm. wanted to mention something as long as we're talking about the forum that we closed our forum on the comic geek speak uh, mm-hmm. website this week and and some people had asked us why we did and everything and it had nothing to do with our relationship with them oh, heavens, we, no, you know, those, we, we, those guys you know, are great yeah they they helped us out a lot when we started out and they've been great to us and everything it, it was just simply a matter of too much 
for us to do to, to handle both forums. And so that forum is closed for now, but we have our forum at aroundcomics.com. And, and, and a big thank you to the CGS guys Absolutely. For, for helping us out. And there was there was in no way any any bad blood involved with that. And we're looking forward to meeting those guys in August when they come yeah, here for Wizard World. We're looking forward to meeting them. <laughs> <laughs> yes. for but, hugs. But <laughs> but if you want if you want to post uh, at aroundcomics.com, that is where our forum <laughs> is now and will forever stay. Yeah. So. I understand Tom is going to sit in Jamie D's lap in uh, Wizard World August. Oh my lord! No, J- Jamie D isn't coming because he oh. heard that Tom was gonna sit in, in his, his lap. lap. I okay. didn't what say a, anything. Whatever about you d- sitting in anything. <laughs> whatever you do, just don't let Raven Gregory sit in your lap because he'll do it and he will crush hurt you. you. He's a large, large man, <laughs> and. Last year he gave me a lap dance and it was horrible. And by the gift, if you by the r- gift, if you uh, run up and hug me, I'll buy you a drink. If you can run, just a big old bear hug. Anyone who wants oh, to. Oh, and people have also asked, you know, and, and I posted this on the forum, but I might as well say it too: is people have asked about where's the world Chicago and what kind of presence we're going to have there, and we're not really going we'll to have be any, there. Yeah, we'll be there. <laughs> we'll be running around, but I personally will be at Knuckles from eight to twelve every evening for a personal one-on-one Q and A with anyone that wants to buy me drinks. So. That's our presence, pretty much. Let's get back to the topic. Let's okay. Get back to the top- okay. What I was saying is that we had, we had so many we had so many posts out there that we kind of boiled them down into sections. So we're not going to read a lot of the individual posts, but I would like to thank Papercut and Weak Rocker and Bernie and D Drace and Vince B and Ken Small and Rudiger and Wet Rats and Braxton. You all contributed to this, and we thank you very very much. So. All right, the first one that we that we started boiling down to and how comics have changed is serialization. Uh, how much like television, how much like a television season, comics have been moving towards self-contained storylines and limited series arcs. And well, the trade, the trade arc, I well, mean that's sort of no, no, even beyond that, and we get to trades later on in this, but just the serialization of it in that. I remember growing up that, you know, even like the Dark Phoenix saga, this is before trades, but it was more of a serialized comic. It was a series that one comic led into another one. You had cliffhangers, and and maybe Bob can help us out, but when you started reading comic books, they were really a lot of series of one-shot comics, correct? Um, Actually... There were continued stories, at least at Marvel back then, because I remember the very first comic I read, you know, the Spider-Man 88, it had Dr. Octopus, and it had Dr. Octopus's arms kind of, it was continued from the previous issue, which I had not seen, and his arms were kind of going across the city by themselves. The next issue had Dr. Octopus, you know, then there were several issues with Green Goblin, and the story pretty much did continue. It's not the same as the arcs now. But, but you could still read one you issue could read from one the next issue and it was and fine. It was, exactly. That's the difference because now you read something that's kind of like you know the, the common thing is people say writing for the trade where you can read the first two issues of a series and have no idea what in the world is going on in that series yeah. you know, until you get the whole thing. But there, each issue pretty much stood by itself and it might have had a continuing thread that would go on to another one but each each individual issue could be read and enjoyed by itself and since back then there were no comic shops i mean i got them off of the rack at the this is different than you guys but you know we had liquor stores where i used to you know here in chicago a liquor store just sells liquor right 
yeah. cigarettes in California. <laughs> you know, that was that was basically the precursor to the Seven Eleven or something. I mean, they had candy and a magazine rack and whatever. But I would go there, and they would have a rack of comic books. And but you didn't know from month so you, to month. So, you, so you'd pick up Amazing Spider-Man and a pint and go off to the <laughs> no, would be a, a pint Let me of, tell uh, you something, soda pop, perhaps. Uh, <laughs> But I think that's, you know, I think Stan got that. Talking about the cliffhangers, was, but the whole idea of that was that, you know, you know Peter may have, have saved Aunt May from, you know, the Green Goblin or whoever, but at the end of that issue, then you saw the teaser for the next issue, the silhouetted right. Doc Ock, and that was enough to get you to come back the next month, but it wasn't integral maybe to that right. story. Uh, a hallmark of Spider-Man back then in a lot of the books was that last page really was a pretty good hook in many cases to the next issue that was going to come out and it made you want to get that next issue which was you know all the more frustrating when yeah. you know you couldn't find it at the at the local shop you know the one store you know. well <laughs> one of those thing one of the things that when i read old comics that they do really well is they'll just have a panel referencing something that isn't integral to the story but you know carries through the whole theme of it which is kind of a cool way of doing it because if you're reading it and you don't get the next issue you can just be like oh i don't know what that is but it's not gonna wreck your enjoyment of the story it's like just a little sideways reference yeah i I used to like those footnotes i miss the footnotes the the little asterisk of you know well whenever i was editor's uh, note yeah the editor's notes i i I miss those those were so fun you see them again i've seen them recently uh, here and there people but they're almost kind of a joke or a nod it's not it's i mean that was just part of reading comics you'd get the editor's note and and it was totally a marketing ploy to get you to pick up that you know when spider-man's swinging through central park and he talks about you know meeting the thing and it would be you know you know go see marvel team up you know issue versus rom but i think it would also look (laughs) weird to have those because i think older issues also were more wordy it was more commonly accepted to have more words on the page like if you look at you know pick up an issue of any of the big two you know there'll be panels without words you know like how weird would it be for someone to be like oh i remember last time you did this and then like a box in the corner it'd be like almost shocking to see like with modern art and modern sort of exposition to Looks see like that the thought page. balloons going away yeah you guys are getting ahead of me oh, hold on me. hold on before we go <laughs> the, the serialization though i mean isn't that sort of didn't it just sort of form from you know, uh, you know cartoon strips and newspapers it was sort of same sort of mm-hmm. thing and and obviously radio at the time you know before then uh, you know before the 70s obviously way back you know in the 40s 30s and 40s but I think that's sort of where it graduated from, you know, specifically, co- you know, comic strips in uh, in newspapers. I mean, that was, you know, well, you look I, at I, th- I think the evolution of of television <laughs> and how that kind of trained uh, American um, uh, the, the the American consumer that this is how your entertainment is delivered, and that serialization through TV episodes, I think became, you know, kind of ingrained in how mm-hmm. we in how we receive our entertainment. So. I think it's more, you know, if you actually boil it down to TV as opposed to primetime TV, which I think you were referring to, I think it's much more like the daytime soap operas. Yes. Because <laughs> primetime TV, while you had, you know, common characters, you know, if you would watch, you know, Gunsmoke or I Love Lucy or whatnot, they had the same characters week to week, but there very rarely was any reference to specific events 
you know, forward or backward, right. and each episode was almost completely self-contained. Whereas yeah, right. on a you know on a soap opera, you know, you have those stories where they have the same kind of cliffhangers, and you know the specific elements of the story carry forward. You know, someone mm-hmm. is someone's evil twin, or <laughs> and, know, what, and, what, and let's face it, comics are soap operas. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they're soap operas for you know. Or, or whatever. Or um, let's move on to 20s, accessibility. 30s, accessibility to creators, and and this is something that I think we've seen really in the last ten years really change. Um, the internet and conventions have given artists and writers and publishers more contact with fans than ever before. So we'll go back to to Bob. Um, what would you have had to gone through to meet? Stanley or Jack Kirby in the 70s. There was zero accessibility as far as I, I mean I when I was a kid I hadn't you know the San Diego Con was probably going on back then I'm sure it was it's been 30 some odd years that it's been going on but I didn't go to it until I was much older. In general your only interface was you would write a physical paper letter and send it in and you know circulation was much higher back then you know you would be selling hundreds of thousands of issues and the interaction was pretty much limited to the three or four letters or five letters that would get on the letters page out of hundreds of thousands of of people now a book might sell you know mainstream 20 to 80,000 for the mid-range books you know the indies you're selling you know maybe three to five thousand and you can send emails directly to the creators and they'll respond to you or you can listen to them on a podcast mm-hmm. like this or you can why well, there's so many more message conventions board, now there's message boards you can meet them at conventions which there are a lot more conventions did back you ever then get a, did you ever get any letters i i don't know i wrote letters I don't know if they were published because I didn't back then get every single issue. Uh, I once got a no prize from Marvel. Nice. <laughs> All right. And what was what in was the no prize? I have, I Nothing. Have, uh, it was an it was empty a, envelope. When I got it, I was, was no I was probably about That's 11 or 12, and I was so excited. I got this envelope. It was, you know, had a little bold thing in the upper corner that says, in this envelope is the valuable Marvel no prize, which you have just won. And I was so giddy, I, like, Tore the envelope open, oh, totally that, ruined it. That was the prize. <laughs> and there was nothing in there, and I'm like, man, they hosed me. Uh, I you, hate you, know, you, Stanley. Do you remember what it, what you wanted for? What I, I wrote a letter um, comparing the uh, Justice League to the Avengers in an unfavorable fashion um, towards the Justice League, obviously. Settle down, Tom. Well, what year was this? this You know, hey, I go by the handle JLA fan now, so you know things change, right? It was probably seventy-four. I was, you know, twelve. I mean, (laughs) but I was, you know, I was late. Well, it wasn't, you know, it was like Marvel characters. It was like, it was like, you know. Hawkeye, can yeah. beat Green Arrow, and all. Oh, and they, well, well, no, that's ridiculous. <laughs> I know that now that yeah, I have I the mean, sensibility exactly. of an adult, yeah. but you know, as a child. <laughs> well, think, no, no, well, he doesn't mean the concept's ridiculous. Just the idea that, that Hawkeye, Hawkeye could, could beat be, <laughs> Green he's Arrow. A criminal. It could happen. Well, <laughs> no. What's funny is, um, I was telling Bob about this. I just it's picked up the new issue of. Um, Alter Ego, which is all about the Silver Age, and there's an interview with Julius Schwartz from 1966 talking about the f- uh, 
uh, showcase number four, which, which was the birth of the Silver Age. And in 1966, he was bitching about people writing in letters to van- fanzines and how like their uninformed opinions were like <laughs> ridiculous, and how they just fed off rumors and would just repeat things that other people said. Oh and I God, read it, and I was like, oh, my God, imagine... Now, now being yeah. with the Internet? Do you think now? Yeah, exactly. Good I was Lord. like, I was reading it, and I swear to God, you could cut that out so and replace fanzine what, what, with form. What issue? Showcase number four? Of what? Was it the... the yeah. Uh, show, 50 no, it was an ago. alter ego. He was it was an alter ego. No, no, no. no. I, I'm talking about the, the actual... So, Bob, do you have that one? Showcase Show, number Oh, no, I don't know. Showcase number four. <laughs> I, have, I have showcase number 22. Okay. Which was first appearance of the Silver Age Green Lantern, yeah. and I have the first Silver Age Aquaman and the first Silver Age Hawkman. Lord, I don't have the Flash. I mean that that Showcase Four is that's way pretty. That's out of my my league. But are I got you the are JLA you looking books. to adopt any thirty three? Thank you for anyone who'd want to read. You know, I I got into that you know a while ago before. Like right now, things are quite hefty you know prices in the last five ten years the back issue market has gone really pretty crazy i I picked up a lot of those books you know 10 to 15 years ago and they weren't that expensive i mean i'm not buying mint condition books i i collect in like very good defined condition mostly on those things that i buy but they weren't that bad to get you know back then it was mostly i would pick them up at the san diego con you Wish know, when I, I started going there. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that, uh, that is the one that I would really like to get, showcase number four. That one and Fantastic Four number one, you know, yeah. I would really like to get. The two big milestones. Yeah, absolute both, landmark. Yeah, those yeah, are both yeah. big landmarks, and they're both, unfortunately, you know, and not they, something they, that they, if I yeah, had that kind that of money, I don't think I would spend it on a single issue of a comic. (laughs) I'd read it and then throw it away. Uh, No, sure wouldn't. Well, Um, back to the accessibility of of creators. I know, you know, I was... and once again, I have such a bad memory. I can't remember who it was. It might have been <laughs> so and so. It might have been Brian Bendis or somebody was on uh, a podcast talking about that issue and and saying that you know, actually, it might have been. I don't know. Anyway, it doesn't matter who it was. Some older creator, and he was saying, you know, back you know years ago, they had no feedback. They they had no idea when they put something out if it was good or bad or liked or not liked. They had no clue. They would get the letters, you know, a month later, two months later, whatever it would be. And now today it's, you know, instant feedback. You have, you know. The day it comes the day, out. Yeah, the day before it comes out. I mean, you know, the Which previews. Be a, a good thing and a bad <clears throat> Well, thing. certainly. Uh, you know, and, and and I think, you know, they, you know, there's a lot of creators out there now that offer a lot of accessibility for their fans. Brian mm-hmm. Bendis is on his message board all the time. And, and there are different guys that are online all the time. And, and there are. You know, a lot of ways for fans to, to contact their creators and give feedback, and and those guys pay attention to it to some degree, um, but at the same time, I think they have to. You know, they have a filter too that they have to run it through, so not to be guys, clouded by. Yeah, yeah. They had a thing in there that was like, I don't know if anyone can hear what's going on. Yeah. Man, read that what the issue. That came out a while ago by Brian Michael Bendis mm-hmm. yeah. or whoever. Because one of the things in there, they had, like, what if. They had message boards back in, like, Kirby's day. 
and different eras. Which it's, well, it's funny. It's funny so that I, I remember that, that up. was pretty funny. It was kind of like you know, what are you thinking? Be, because <laughs> there were there were actually some story ideas in that book from people on his message board that like contributed ideas or just threw them out there because he started the thread and said, okay, what would you want to see in a, in a what the issue? And there were some that made it into the book, which just gives you an idea of you know the kind of connection now that that creators have with the fans or at least the ones that are online. Well, they're, they're out there, but I, I think that if a creator wants to be accessible, they can make themselves very accessible, and that's a cool thing. If they don't want to be accessible, they don't have to be. And, and you know, it just depends on how much they want to throw themselves out on the Internet these days. So it's the options there. And, and I think that a lot of the creators like the accessibility that's, that's built up there. Uh, moving on, and this is one uh, that I think that everyone can agree has greatly changed comics and the industry, and that is the death of the spinner rack. Um, new comic fans indie are almost... Uh, no. Oh, no, thank indie God. Indie spinner Those rack will never die. All right. <laughs> but new comic fans are almost forced to go to local comic shops as uh, um, the drugstore spinner rack becomes a thing of the past. It's actually kind of funny. I was at Borders today, and uh, lo and behold, I was walking through there, and they had a spinner rack. Yeah, I've seen a few of them in Chicago have mm-hmm. spinner racks. Next to their giant aisle of trade paperbacks. Yes, yes. Yeah. But, <laughs> so but, but, I, but I think you know it's not just the death of the spinner spinner rack that that's being taught. You know, it's the distribution. It's the, the distribution. distribution. It's, Direct it's, market has changed. You know, so whenever much. whenever they yanked comic books out of the liquor stores, the the industry started <laughs> to die. And Bob couldn't get <laughs> his we, forty I, ounce in well, a flash. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you know. Don't pick on my uh, liquor stores in California. <laughs> <laughs> when I was a kid, I actually, because my family's from here, I remember coming to Chicago when I was probably about 12 years old, and I was at my aunt's house, and I wanted to go get some comics, and I'm, I asked my aunt, where's the liquor store? And she was, like, taken aback. She ended up sending me, like, a white hen. After I explained it, I ended up at a white hen, yeah. getting my, uh, you know, the, the fix Teen Titans. And, and yeah, well, well, well I Tom, want a spinner rack, by the way. One one? I want one. Oh, that's one. the one thing that I would love to have. I would love to have a spinner rack in cheap. my comics room. Steal one from Borders. Yeah, I know. Just run in there and run out and find say, one somewhere. Bring, say you bought it someplace else. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, Tom or or Sal, uh-huh. either one of you guys, did you was yes. your was your first experience Absolutely. buying comics in a convenience store yes. off of a spinner rack? Uh, the first time my parents <laughs> bought me a comic sure from that. that, they used to have them mm-hmm. like in. Uh, in Green Bay, they used to have them like in a Shopko. The they'd have like wiggly. a big, yeah, they'd just the farm, have one. Farm and Fleet. The first time anyone bought me a comic, well, I got like a huge like box of comics, so I didn't pay for those. But the first time I remember my parents ever buying me any, it was just off I'm one of those. I'm probably just old enough to remember spinner racks being in the 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 Hucks is what we had in Southern Illinois. It was basically the the Seven Eleven version down Go there. Go huck yourself. Sorry, I had to say it. Uh, 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 I grew up uh, uh, within a block of a 7-Eleven and another... It was strange because there were these two little sort of... Well, they weren't really convenience stores at the time. One was a pharmacy and one was a 7-Eleven. Mm-hmm. And they both had spinner racks. And it was funny because they would carry different books. So I'd go to both of them and it was, you know... It's like some months there'd be really good stuff at 7-Eleven and really crappy stuff at the you know at the pharmacy. And, and other months it would be, you know, flip-flop. But... Uh, yeah, that's where I started buying them, and then I think the first comic shop that opened by me was like within you know riding distance on my bike when I when uh, 25 years ago now, mm-hmm. I think it was. Yeah, when I was about 10 or 11, 
No. My, my first Maybe comic book purchase that. that I remember was in a comic shop. Wow. It was a comic shop and baseball card shop. It was a specialty yeah, store. Yeah. I, I remember when the first comic shop opened that I knew about it. And I had gone, you know, on special things. There were used bookstores, you know, that you could get, like, some old comics for, you know, a nickel or a mm-hmm. dime or whatever. But there were no actual comic shops like Dark Tower here um, in existence. I remember I was probably about 15 when the first comic shop opened near my house, and I started going there instead of, but, you know, you had a circuit, like you were saying, Sal, that, you know, you had, like, the drugstore had some things, the 7-Eleven and other. I had, like, three or four different places, and when the (laughs) 7-Eleven first opened near us, you know, that was one, and then there was the... You know, one. You know, there were like three places, and you'd go to them because if you wanted to get that continued, the next issue, some months, and it was just random. You know, yeah, it was, it like, was like who's buying? You know, you maybe know. Spider-Man would come to Seven Eleven this month, and maybe it wouldn't. You know, <laughs> yeah, it's like yeah. if There's, you didn't go to all the places, you I, just didn't. Bruce, get Bruce Rosenberger did a whole show on on this and what it was like to track down these comics, and I, I don't. It, it may have been uh, involved with uh, with Rick Gordon's podcast, but you know, just the 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 treks that they would have to go on from almost from town to town scouring these drugstores to, to find being in fields mm-hmm. well, rick rick and i did talk about yeah. that i think on episode uh five or six of his oh, pop, pop cult pop, online pop cult online yeah. Yeah, which which if you want to hear more of bob uh you can check out uh the pop cult online with uh, rick gordon uh, you did two episodes with him talking about um two and then uh, the third one we were talking about spider-man with mm-hmm. uh Various people, and the second part of that should be coming out any time. All right. I do remember, um, and not to—I I didn't mean to say—but there was just a memory that that came back <laughs> to me right now. I want to—it was like the first, tell us, you know, collectible or old comic that I bought. It was, you know, because there wasn't comic shops or anything, so it was just the new stuff that was coming out. And then I remember this this little comic shop open, and like the first collectible book that I ever bought was Invaders number one. I got it for like. Seven bucks. I think. Wow. I and then, if, you know, at the yeah. time it was like, you know, it was a lot of money for me, you know, seven bucks for a comic book, but uh, I wish I still had it. I the first comic up. that had another price put on the outside. Yeah, yeah. I'm not memorizing the price guy, but I'm thinking Vader's number one is probably not much more than seven bucks now. Now? <laughs> <laughs> probably not. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I, lo- I just love the, I love yeah. the Invaders. And, uh, and, and I'll tell you what, Sal. I'm going to find an Invader. Find me an Invader? Cool. <laughs> that would be cool. I have no idea what comics are worth ever. I don't I don't, yeah. I don't pay attention so, to well, what the, any the, of them are the, worth. Or we talked about it last last uh, last week's uh, Friday episode. We even mentioned Bob. It's like we as fans have have realized that the comics that we own are not worth anything more than really the paper they're printed on and the nostalgia factor. And we talked about you, and it's like Bob is a collector who has comics that are worth stuff and they're investment. We but ha- we they're ha- not investments though. I mean, yeah. because I look at my books, I don't look at them as investments, and that's whenever I use someone say, you know, if I tell somebody you know that I work with or something that I you know if I get to know them and I say, hey, you know, I collect comics. One of the first things out of their mouth is, wow, what are they worth? You know, yeah. and it's like, essentially, I buy them not as an investment. That's what I see wrong with some of this. Mm-hmm. You know, like that whole uh, CGC, you yeah, know, getting slabbing. comics slabbed, right? I, I think that is so wrong that I just can't even, you know, go into that so much. But you're a, re- you're, a, you're a fan and a reader first. Right. And you I collect them because I have that collector gene where I want to have every- the complete set. <laughs> but, you know, I have my... 
Brave and Bold number 28, and it's framed, and it's up on the wall, (laughs) as well as Brave and Bold 29 and 30 and Justice League 1 through 7. I have all the Justice League, but, I mean, those I have up. You have a complete run of Justice League. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Even Justice League Detroit? (laughs) I do indeed have Justice League Detroit. I would ask you to tell your friends about the Around Comics podcast, but let's face it, your friends are a little bit on the two-dimensional side, aren't they? All right, guys, let's move on. The next topic I wanted to uh, touch on was global influence. And uh, and I think probably 40 years ago, American comics were very American. And now and really for the last... Almost Weren't they fighting the Nazis? <laughs> That's exactly what I was going to say. The only foreigner you saw in a comic was some... Uh, was a Nazi or... A fang-toothed Japanese. <laughs> yeah, or, really Superman's very the racially inappropriate. Superman's the ultimate but, but, foreigner. But now, but now we have the, the influence of British writers. We have... Uh, manga is, is definitely making influences What's in, in Western comics. But, um, you know, talk about... And, I, and we've talked about manga before. And I think it is definitely making an influence here. But I think for um, traditional comic fans, the biggest change has been the influence of British writers more than anything else. You look at Alan Moore, Warren Ellis, Grant Morrison. You know, how has that changed the comics landscape in the last 35 years? They've made it snooty. No, <laughs> <laughs> um, it definitely brought a different feel to comics. Well, I, you know. I, Personally, I feel that, for whatever reason, they definitely seem more educated when it comes to literature than Americans. And I think just you culturally, know, culturally, it just it's it's literature is a much bigger part of their upbringing, and and there's a lot more literary references and and a lot of that foundation in the writing. You know, but you know, I'll bounce it to Bob here. Do you remember the beginnings of the British invasion of comic books? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, to some extent, I mean, the first that I remember of it before Vertigo, because Swamp Thing, you know, with Alan Moore, that's when I first started becoming aware of it. And then when Vertigo started, you know, that was certainly a big phase. But around before then, probably, they used to, there was a Eagle Comics, they used to reprint from 2000 AD, um, Judge Dredd and Slain and... Uh, Rogue Trooper. There was a whole bunch of different series from uh, from the UK that that they would put. And Alan Moore actually wrote a lot of that stuff too. Um, so that was my first exposure to kind of the British invasion. And to some extent, I think that the comics world prior to that was relatively insular with you know whoever either was from New York or was willing to move to New York. You know, to be in, to be in much, the bullpen. Yeah, yeah, yeah that was pretty much was. who wrote wrote the comics, and there were fewer variety of writers back then also, and that just was the very first noticeable thing where they really opened it up. Also back then, I remember there were some import albums, so back in the 80s, I remember uh, Mobius, there was a uh, Marvel shown a spotlight on him, um, and there were some... Spanish creators. There were also uh, asterisks and obelix from Italy, I believe. And I would pick up those things when I could various places, and that was that was pretty interesting. And it was just different because there's certainly a very different style, as you said, Sal, to some of the 
different cultural influences, I think. Mm -hmm. I I think that we're getting ready to see that again on the art side. We talked with Ivan Brandon last week, and I think that we're on the cusp of seeing an influx of South American and Spanish artists that are that are coming into the the comic industry, kind of almost through the back door, through through alternative press, through you know image creator owned title, titles, and I think that we're going to see a whole new influx of you know instead of writers now on more well, of the art side. It's certainly much easier, you know, like Bob was saying, you know, it used to be whoever lived in New York or was willing to move there, but now with the digital age of of producing comics, it's you know. It, there are plenty of creators, plenty of artists that live outside of the country that write, you know, comics here and that are published, and it's so much easier for them to to do that now. It, it, it's there's a lot of West Coast writers, you know. I think Brubaker, Rucka, and Bendis all live in the Pacific Northwest, mm-hmm. and they don't have you hippies. Know, <laughs> well, they like the lifestyle out there, but they're able to write comics. But as far as the British thing, I mean, I just think they brought a certain maybe <coughs> sophistication. Or a different level of sophistication to a lot of the characters and storylines. So there was certainly an intricacy to, you know, putting the story together and certain elements that were not just a common, you know, the, some the, the superhero sort of cliche, beats some other superhero, right, right. fights him a little bit, and then realizes they're both on the same side. Then they go tackle the bad guy together. I mean, that was a formula that had been going on mm-hmm. yeah, for added, a while. Yeah, added a, a, deeper, um, a, a deeper layer right. uh, you know, to, to was, the storytelling. The 80s was the real turnaround on that. Sure. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, let's flip over a little bit more to the, the technical side. <clears> and, uh, and I think this uh, can go, you know, not just from the printing side, but, you know, how comics are made. You know, in the last, you know, probably 15 years, we've, we've gone from the traditional artboard, ink, color, and then you know the traditional key lines. You know, I'm I'm in you know graphic design, and and so I understand how printing has changed. We've gone to almost uh, we're starting to see completely digital comics now. We're seeing how um, pencilers will pencil and then they'll scan and they'll digitally ink and digitally color, and then we're seeing different printing processes of how paper quality and printing quality and paper grades have changed. You know, the actual um, quality of comic books on the shelves now compared to what they were, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago is drastically different. That's true. I, I personally would not mind having poorer quality paper and lower prices. You know, I see a lot of times they're talking about the reason comics cost $3 or $4 a piece is because of the paper. And for me, if it meant knocking the price down a buck, I buy old comics. They're 40 years old, and they're printed on the cheapest, cruddiest yeah. well, paper, and they're still... Well, you know, I'll, I'll tell you a little, a little secret there, and I'll probably get rebuffed by this, but paper is dealt in volume. And if the majority of the paper that's being produced is a higher quality paper, it's not that much more expensive. So I don't know how much truth to that. There's some truth. I mean, printing on newsprint as opposed to, you know, whatever paper grade that they're printing a majority of these comics in, it's not that 
much of a difference cost-wise. What I see is is the cover stock is different. You're dealing with you know you know the the glossy coated covers and you know there there is a production value that I think that especially the American consumer has come to expect in comics that is different than what it used to be. Well, interestingly, I think you know your American consumer that expects the high quality is the you know, one of, you know, 15 or 20,000, you know, hardcore comic collectors who come into the comic shops and, you know, going to a cheaper price point is what's going to maybe be the only thing that's going to get more people reading comics because I was in Japan a couple of years ago. I, you go anywhere, and it's a different culture, right? But they have the mangas that are printed on the cheapest paper mm-hmm. in the world, and you can buy something that's, you know, about a half an inch thick with, you know, a couple of hundred pages and it's about, you know, with the conversion to US currency, it's like two fifty or three bucks or yeah. something. And they're not made to be kept forever. And I look at you know, I don't know if it's a topic we're gonna hit later, but I'll trump it here, you know, buying value of mm-hmm. the dollar today versus when I was a kid. You know, when I started reading comics they were fifteen cents. And when I was 10 or 11 years old, I could wash my dad's car and he'd give me, you know, a buck or two. You know, I'd, you know, do stuff. I'd do yard work or, you know, whatever it was that I did. I'd wash the car, do that. And my dad would give me a couple of bucks. I'd have $2 at the end of the week from wow. doing my chores. It's 20 comics. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, I could go out with that $2 and I could buy a bunch of comic books, you know, as many pretty much as I wanted in that week and some candy bars and, and all that kind of stuff. You know, and a candy bar back then was, you know, I forget, like a nickel or a dime, and a comic book was 15 cents. I ain't and, giving no kids 60 bucks yeah. to watch exactly, the car Exactly, exactly. You know, days. to buy those same things, if my 15-year-old wanted to do that, I mean, he would have, you know, I'd have to give him like 30 or 40 bucks for doing that. And it is far outpaced the... You know, cost well, of living. I, I, I you think know. a lot, of, and, and Tom, you're going to say what I'm yeah, going to say. I so. think it's, I don't know if we're going to say the same thing. I'm going to say that Bob's completely wrong. No, I'm <laughs> kidding. Um, what I was going to say is this kind of goes back to the production quality is there's, um, there's such a homogenous sense of what sort of quality I think comic fans want. Like, the big two sort of set the pace and everyone else sort of makes their books based on that because they think that everyone wants a 22 page story with paper of that quality but then you see things like image with their like slimline like dollar 99 thing which i think is a really interesting idea because i think there is room for various qualities various prices stuff that we don't see right now in the comics industry well i think one one of a couple of uh, things that we're also ignoring is one creator you know, rights and the cost sure. to that you have to pay people yeah. to write. They're not getting paid in <laughs> rice anymore. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, have that's Roy a huge Thomas write everything. He <laughs> loves it. I mean, that's a huge, you know, difference yeah. between comics that were 15 cents and comics today is that the creators are actually getting paid a, you know, a livable wage for, for what they're doing. And secondly, the marketing aspect and what the market will bear. You know, comics are what they are because we're, we're willing to pay for it. And that's my point is that it's not the. 10-year-old kid washing the car and mowing the grass, it's buying comics. It's these 30-year-old fools or, you know, 44-year-old yeah. fools like <laughs> us that... Are you calling our guest a fool? Yeah. 27-year-old <laughs> <laughs> just, just as much of a Jeez. fool as I am because he's willing to go out and spend, you know, 
25 or or 40 or, or 60 dollars a week for these yeah. and the market is well, <laughs> I mean that's that's part of the whole that's part of the whole aging thing though too mm-hmm. is sort of as you get older your idea of what value is changes too like certain books I read now I get immediately pissed off when I'm done reading it because I think well damn it that was three dollars and why did I you know why did I read that but it's not that every book has to be in a no. cheaper format or you know because just why I look variety. at it is where are you going to get the comic fan that's going to be the 30 year old comic fan 20 years from now if you make comics totally inaccessible to kids and here's a here's an example um I'm at work this week here with a bunch of people, and you know I, I saw Superman and I thought it was really good. I, I asked you guys, and you all saw Superman probably. You know I don't know if Rios ever went and saw Chris Superman, didn't. but you know you, <laughs> I you ask I ask people if they saw Superman, and they're like mm, not really, you know. But you ask them if they saw or want to see Pirates of the Caribbean, which is just as you know, goofy and silly, but it's not a comic book, mm-hmm. and all of them want to see that. It's and a carnival saw, ride at Disney. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's, it's Johnny Quater's coat. It's very Quaters. interesting because you have, <laughs> you know, a difference there. And you know, if you don't have kids getting into comics now, what's going to happen? You know, it's just you know, well, I, th- I think that that's increasing part group. of the, you know, mainstream DC and Marvel. You know, part of their problem is trying to compete with so much else. You know, it, when when we were kids, or you know, even before that, and comics sold, you know, in huge numbers compared to today, there weren't the video games and right. the DVDs and the music choices and the movie choices that there are today that kids are, I don't want to say distracted These by, but but the they have the choices. Music, that, you know, well, no, I'm just saying. Rap. It, it, you and if you're Marvel or DC, you're looking at it from that perspective of how are we trying to compete. It, they're not, I my my honest belief is that Marvel or DC Comics is not trying to sell to new readers. They are that is not their goal well, anymore. I agree with you. They can I don't think they can compete. I don't think that they have a product that they can compete with so many other things and still make any money doing it and stay alive. I think if they if if Marvel tomorrow decided we're going to do everything we can to try and market comics to the masses and sell and try and sell millions of copies of comics however we could they would go out of business because those co- those comics would probably offend the majority of the hardcore comic book fans and you know and what are bought now on a daily basis and and, I, I, and we'll get into this next week but big chunk of marvel's pie just like dc is licensing and sure. you know it's i i don't want to say they don't care about comic sales but Comic, they don't care about comic sales. Comic, comic <laughs> sales are such a small part of their corporate structure sure. that it, it's much more about licensing. Statue movie sales. Yeah, yeah. That's where big money and hero clicks. And hero clicks. No, they, <laughs> they, do, they do care more about the media, the multimedia properties that they can get out there. I agree with you. They use the comics more as a kind of R&D wing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kind of like yeah. a lost leader to some extent. But, you know, I'm not trying to say that they should make some drastic change and you know go over to you know completely changing their line yeah. to you know cheaper paper and you know that but I'm just saying 
on an entry-level book like Marvel Adventures, which I applaud Marvel on Marvel Adventures because those uh, Avengers and Spider-Man mm-hmm. and FF books, they're very good, done in one. Yeah. They're very accessible. They're characters that the kids are familiar with from movies and games and things like that. But, you know, couldn't they try a little harder to put that out at like a buck and a half or something instead of it being three dollars dollar ninety nine like you know. a slim well, I think they have, or you know I, yeah. or whatever and it's just like it's one or two books it's not like they're doing it with their whole line just to you know get it and also if you know and again I know there's corporate reasons for this but you know cross marketing it you know when you go to see Superman how come Justice League Adventures and Batman strikes and stuff aren't being cross promoted. Mm-hmm. You know, you have all these commercials in front of a movie anyway. We, we've talked about the rights no to the Martian Manhunter movie. We, we've so. talked about Sue. that before, and 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 it, you know, just sort of an interesting little story. I have a friend of mine who never has read a comic book in his life, never had any interest in it. Um, went and saw Sin City, the movie. When it came out on DVD, he bought the special edition that came with. You know the digest-sized graphic novel, and now he's interested. He read it and he loved it, and now he's interested in comics. And it was a simple, you know, they, you know, it was yeah. a simple thing. That I don't, you know, it didn't cost him anything to throw that in there. It was just, you know, smart of them to do that. Right. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you don't see it nearly as much as you would think, you know. But don't you see the the independent or alternative press companies trying to cross promote more than you do Marvel or DC? Well, I guess they have to. I mean, they're sure. desperate, so they have to, and that's part of the problem. Is Marvel and DC are sort of gluttonous, and they are slow moving. You know, it's like yeah. the, the, you know, what, you're driving a Porsche, you're driving a bus. Which one turns, you know, well, makes turns this quicker? This month they you know, just released the Newsarama just had the diamond sales numbers, and Marvel and DC have the biggest share that they've had. Of ever. Like the total, yeah. Like ever. <laughs> they must be yeah. doing something right. Well, well a, lot that's, of, a lot that's, of that's spurned I, by civil war. And I think that's crisis. part of the problem is that they're 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 getting mixed messages from all their marketing efforts. You know, it's like they they and they don't know what the right direction is, so they test things out here and there. You know, we were talking about accessible comics for kids or making them accessible. You know, like Runaways, extremely popular book. Perfect for teens, you know, that wanted to read comics, and they did, you know, come out with a small digest. Uh-huh. They've reprinted those in, in cheaper formats and that kind of thing. So they've tried to make, you know, headway into some things, but I think they're so afraid of making a mistake and, you know, really, you know, sort of biting the hand that feeds them that they they aren't willing to, you know, take chances. Okay, I'm the, I, I'm the I'm the hand that feeds them and i love comics and i really i like where they're positioned right now uh, but that's from a very very selfish self-centered comic you fan bastard. give them all the finger what well i i do like the fact that now a lot of the action figures that they put out you know these marvel legends have a comic with them. they have a comic with yeah. them the new superman line that you see at target or walmart um and batman lines they have a comic included in them, and I think it, that's a good place to start. I yeah, mean, it's, it's going to expose a kid that gets the figure to a comic book story. Mm-hmm. Just hopefully, it'll be. Well, how many kids are going to? But also, how many kids are going to buy the fifteen dollars Mister Sinister? Well, they won't, but their parents the, will. When you, yeah, if there are any left at the Walmart after the guys yeah. who resell them on eBay snatch <laughs> them, snatch them all up, up and um, you know they're only like seven bucks seven there. Bucks. So. Well, I tell you, let's uh, let's move ahead here. We we talked about independent and alternative, and that is definitely something that in the last 35 years has changed. And, you know, 
come into the scene and changed again and that's the rise uh, and growth of the independent comic scene uh, once again we'll start with Bob you know whenever you started collecting or reading I don't even think it was collecting at that point but it was you know it was Marvel then it was a little bit of DC I'm, I'm sure but yep. when did independent comics or even the thought of something that wasn't Marvel or DC get onto your radar as a comic reader uh, probably around when Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, that whole black and white boom, um, there were a lot of, a lot of them were far worse than others, but there was a lot of interesting stuff coming out from different publishers, and, you know, as I mentioned before, the British reprints, those started coming out, and really I think where it hit its stride was when First Comics and Eclipse Comics, but they were all, for the most part, still in that superhero genre, which now what I like about a lot of the independents is you're in a whole bunch of different um, genres. So, you know, just so you don't have to do it, I'll mention Queen and Country, uh, get the obligatory around uh, comics. We, you know, we really but need to get paid by Greg you have, yeah. But, I mean, you have that kind of book. You'll have the horror books. You have western books you have you know slice of life slice you know? of life yeah. kind of books you know you know, like i was just at the museum of contemporary art today here in chicago they had the chris ware exhibit and you know things like acme novelty library and jimmy corrigan you know those kind of things you know there's a whole bunch of different types now in independent comics which interestingly you know when you talk about things that would appeal to people outside of comics especially adults that's the kind of stuff you know your your adult is probably not going to come in and pick up, you know, one of these issues of Moon Knight that's coming out and get really excited about that. But I think that, you know, someone could pick up Fables or DMZ or a lot of the Vertigo mm-hmm. stuff or a lot of these independent books that are out and actually get that and get something out of it, like your friend Sal who read that Sin mm-hmm. City, you know, book. And then, you know, that's the kind of thing that would appeal to that adult collection. What, what do you think that it was... Um a lot of kids in the in the 60s and 70s that grew up reading comic books got turned on to art and then these kids end up going to art school and that's where you see a lot of these art house books that started coming out in the 70s and 80s where you had you know guys that grew up being artists and then they get into this whole art community and they had grown up loving sequential art and saw that as as a, a really a viable art form and that's how they express themselves that's where you get you know the chris wares and dan klaus and and well you know the the thing that's interesting to me and i was thinking about this earlier uh, is that you know when underground comics with an x first came out, i mean that was very you know uh underground and very um and they were almost like protest comics to some degree i mean the era the they were very counterculture and 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 vietnam and, and i look at you know I was kind of thinking today, it's like, where are those comics today? How come we don't see that? I mean, there's so there's more independent comics out today than ever before. But less, you know, it's like more people are trying to, like, write a comic that'll turn into a TV show or a movie mm-hmm. than write a comic that they're trying to say anything about or, you know, say something. Probably DMZ is probably the only there's one that, easier, that comes to my mind. There's easier know? ways for you now to, if you are counterculture, I think. There's... I mean, there's a huge internet 
society of people making their own little movies well, um, and doing their own things, like, cost-effective-wise. Get your war on? Well, yeah, there was no such on? thing as a video camera, right, hmm? in that day. So, I mean, when someone wanted to express themselves, especially if they wanted to express themselves visually, visually yeah. you know, what were they... It wasn't easy for someone to go out and get a film camera and film stock and all these kind of things. You know, they could draw a comic book and get... Mm-hmm a few thousand printed up and sell them out of head shops or whatever you know but now you've got digital cameras and the internet as tom mentioned and you know you can get a video camera for a couple of hundred dollars put it on youtube you know and and you can get it on youtube and yeah thousands upon thousands more people will download whatever kind of nonsense someone puts on youtube then will buy any comic (laughs) that stuff is good that comes out yeah but (laughs) i mean you see the the hit rate on things well well, maybe it's stuff like web comics maybe that's where the counterculture is as opposed to a lot of maybe you're just not cool enough to know where the where the real you you say in in music too (laughs) maybe yeah steve steve earl is is a uh, um incredibly active political singer-songwriter and that's one of his calls to action is where are the protest songs and you see that in comics where where's the counterculture in any facet of the entertainment industry whether it be movie or music or for us old. comic books we just don't know um, well you know <laughs> the <laughs> online comics I think, I think we are old because you know to some extent because my 15 year old son i mean i work in computers i sit and i look at a computer screen all day long the last thing i want to do is sit and read comics on the computer. Mm-hmm. I don't like web comics, you know, mm-hmm. I don't. But my 15-year-old son, he will sit, you know, it's summer now, you know, he'll sit all day long. He's got like about 20 or 30 different web comics that he's got bookmarked, and he will sit and read these web comics, and he's always searching for. Kick that kid other... out of the house and make him play baseball. Yeah, what are you I'm doing? Like... No, put him in the basement and give him some real comics. Well, he does, he does, you know, <laughs> he's, read this. he's a fortunate <laughs> child, you know. Oh, yeah. He, he pretty much reads about. 40 different titles a month because they're just there. I mean, I've got them all. I let them read. I'm moving in. (laughs) All right, guys. Tear falls from my eye. um, One thing that that we kind of have to go over, and we started off the show talking about it, and that is writing for the trade. Maybe not even writing for the trade, but trades in general. You know, obviously, when when Bob started reading, you couldn't go and buy a collection of, you know, uh, amazing Spider-Man one through six. That wasn't an option. Um, how much has the the trade market changed comic books? And, and we'll start off with uh, with Bob. I think to some extent that the trade market will do potential damage to new issue sales. And I'm seeing the industry should probably just move into just publishing them directly as straight to trade straight trade you know graphic novels real great graphic novels as opposed to collections because how many of these series do you hear about that just have terrible circulation M- but monthly have sales. really good buzz and when you talk to people they say well I'm waiting for the trade I'm waiting for six issues to come out exterminators yeah, yeah exterminator <laughs> I bought the trade of exterminators. how did you like that by the way I didn't get it yet. I mean, is the tr- okay. is the trade out? Um, it hasn't shipped to me. We're gonna edit yet, that so. and we're gonna make it that Bob. Yes, says. it was You're the greatest comic go, ever. I, I, I loved enjoyed it. it. <laughs> it was the greatest comic since <laughs> yeah. Amazing Spider-Man I, 88. I hear, I hear really good things about it, and I'm looking forward. I have ordered the trade from uh, it's not out yet. and when okay. it comes out, I'll get it and I'll read it. You know, I I read a lot of the, especially Vertigo stuff, seems to. Um, 
lend itself to that exactly format. lend itself to that format and i read a lot of vertigo stuff in trade form i read preacher and trades i read i read fables and hundred bullets and yeah but um, i think the know, reason that, that you don't trades. you don't see so much of that is the same reason that you know like movie you know production companies put out four you know versions of the same dvd because people buy them you know it's like you, you how you many buy, different versions of watchmen do you own um three Okay. And he he's paying me to do my own version. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm I own, writing I think and I, own, it. I own the original issues. I own the trade, and then I own the absolute edition. Yeah, I only own two. <laughs> I own the graffiti one, which is essentially identical to the absolute edition, right. but not as big. And I and I have the original issues. I have like five versions of Kingdom Come, though. I I own issue number one, and I'm waiting for the really really. Really, absolute. the final absolute. Yeah, I have been like ten years from the now. The pen ultimate, yeah. ultimate. <laughs> this is it. Done. I don't buy any books. absolute. I but I just, it's, it's, and we talked about everything. this earlier. You know that collector mentality. It's like I, you know, I want the single issues because I want to read it now. But then they come out with a trade version. It's like, well, you know, I'll get that. And Especially then they come out with an absolute edition. Yeah. And it's well, it's got extra stuff well, in it. And, I tend I mean, to it's get just, either or. And you know, the thing is, if I don't get into something. Early on, like Walking Dead, for instance, mm-hmm. I got into Walking Dead when Comic Geek Speak was pushing it, right? You know, as their book of the month, and I picked it up in trade and I read it. But since I am a collector, I'm kind of like a completist, and if I can't get all the issues, and you know, it's impossible to find those. And it's kind of like it's a good series, but it's not something that I'm going to go out and spend hundreds of dollars right. trying to track down all the issues. So I just made the decision. Well. I can't get all the yeah. issues in monthly format, so I'm just going to collect it in trade format. Well, and the same thing with Fables. I got into yeah. Fables mm-hmm. when they same did here. it as a Book of the Month club, and getting all the, the back issues would be tremendously more expensive. Um, I look at those things as, you know, again, it's not like they're, my personal opinion, is not like they're ever going to be worth a tremendous amount of money. You know, but for every guy like you, there's a guy out there that will, you know, that will go back and yeah. get and oh, want yeah. those single issues, and then there's well, guys that, you know, what I mean. Well, so when it's, the series it's the is going, you know, look at Sandman. I mean, Sandman ended years ago. How? What's the market like for back issues of Sandman now? They used to go for big bucks when Sandman was ongoing, but once people forget about right. it and it's just in trades, you know, Fables. The back issue market and it'll dry up five, six years after mm-hmm. they stop publishing well, when yeah. it hits the end it's, of the series. It's, it's interesting because every time I see Marvel coming out with a miniseries I want to get, like Agents of Atlas, I just think, well, I'll just mm, the trade. trade will come out the day that the last issue comes out. <laughs> well, you know, know probably a couple months down the line. But yeah. one thing for me is that you know I've always been a Marvel guy, and I, I love uh, the diversity that independent comics offer me, and mm-hmm. I've never been a hardcore DC follower. But you know, Tom through his infinite knowledge and wisdom has has been trying to guide me through some DC stuff and I'm not going to go back and buy individual issues of JSA yeah. or Flash or you know whatever he says is good um, you know oh, D- well, yeah. D-Man yeah. Is, a, is a guy on the forum that's told me hey these are some great Wonder Woman trades to go and check out yeah. what, what the real character of Wonder Woman is which is someone that's never interested me now the trade paperback market allows me to go and I bought two trades of Jeff John's flash run and you know what I liked them I didn't have to go and you know pick and, I mean, yeah, and scratch for those that's a great thing and I think I think and I think but I mentioned this in the forum. One of the weird things I think with the trade market almost is there's all this stuff that is old 
that you can't get in trade, yeah. but you can get everything that comes out now in trade. I, and sometimes I, I think, I mentioned mm-hmm. that, I think it would be cool if some of these companies focused on Older, not having or, yeah. to wait for the essentials to get something like Craven's Last Hunt. Here, here's you know, why, right? and this is this is a plea to Marvel. I'm just starting to realize how innovative um, Steranko was as as an artist, and I really want color versions of Nick Fury, Agent of Shield. That and was a trade. I have it. it. They did trade it. Yeah, a lot, but I can't find it. Anywhere. It's, it's out of print, but they did at some point. Put it back in I print because that's one that, you know, I want now that, you know, not just because of the podcast, but just because of my heightened interest as a comic book fan, I really want to go back and investigate some of these classic old series. And not in black and white. And I know that they do that for an affordability standpoint, but I want, you know, Steranko loses a lot in right. black and white. I agree with you, Chris. Now, I'll make a point here, though. What you're talking about is taking storylines that were in the original comics and reprinting them in trade, and I think that's a great thing to do when you take classic definitive stuff, but that is absolutely different than the writing for the trade. Where oh, sure. When you look at it, you know, when we talked back, back when I started reading comics, and I could read a set of Spider-Man comics, and they told an overall story, but each issue told a complete useful story that I could get mm-hmm. something out of. I pick up Moon Knight number one and two, and I, I can appreciate the yeah. fact that those are you know, chapters one and two of a six-issue story arc, but that is like pretty much incomprehensible what, read what, by what, itself. What would you have thought 20 years ago if that Charlie Houston Moon Knight, if you would pick that up off the shelf? I would have never picked up issue number two. And I would have never, book. I would have never come back to Moon Knight. I mean, but the thing is, is especially you know, like month to month. I mean, it's just I don't get a satisfying chunk of story that stands by itself in a single issue of a lot of these books. But I'm not disagreeing the fact that I'm sure it's artfully told as a six issue story. That if I read it all together as a as a trade, that's going to be great. But you know what? Let's just put that out as a single thing because when I read it and then a month later I read the next one, you know, well, I personally, I read too many comics to, if to it's, be able to... If it's to, being written to, for the trade, then just put the exactly, trade out. Exactly, exactly. Now, you know, JSA, you know, I'm looking at the trades on the wall over here. Look at Black Rain trade. Mm-hmm. Those issues in that story stood by themselves as solid issues that you could have read any one of those individual issues and gotten something out of it when it came in. Now I can put the trade out and you know that's a that's a longer story, but I mean there was action and all that it just wasn't I, You know, I agree with you, but except on one point I think we put too much emphasis on the writing for the trade. I don't know that it's so much that there's this ethos in any of these companies that, hey, you have to write six-issue arcs or you have to write eight-issue arcs or whatever it but is. But they do. But they do. No, no, but is that just a symptom of writing different types of stories and more complex stories that are not serialized, self-contained, e- simpler even stories? If, even if there in, weren't you know trades, I mean? would writers still be writing stories I, for I that think to some well, degree. I, look at I Watchmen. Think, that was a limited series. Mm-hmm. You, when Watchmen came out as a twelve-issue maxi series, I read that off the rack, as did you, mm-hmm. I, I believe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I did not get to the end of Watchmen number one, and 
I wasn't scratching my head and saying, "What the hell just happened here?" I mean, I I got a decent piece of story. Well, yeah, but you're talking about you're talking about the maybe the best writer ever well, in comics, <laughs> and you you want everyone to be able to write to no, that but I mean, level. You know, take, that seems... take away, go to Camelot. 3000, which, you know, I don't think Mike W. Barr is the greatest writer that ever rat wrote in comics. That was a 12-issue series, and, you know, take away the fact that it took him, like, three years to put out, you know, issue 12. I mean, <laughs> when I read that series off the rack, when it came out, each issue told a satisfying chunk of story that was not incomprehensible in and of itself, and it was written as a But how many comics series. today are, are the you know, obviously well, the Moon obviously Knight the Moon Knight is one series, and well, it's ongoing. Okay, going I, from six to twelve. I stopped ongoing. getting it. Well, that's one two, example, so but I mean, that's that's maybe the extreme. We're talking about both ends of the spectrum. I mean, you talk about the majority of books that come out, even if I mean. Uh, I'll look at you know Ultimate Pun- Spider-Man or Punisher Max. I mean anybody Pun- that anybody that writes you know the, I think the the whole writing for the trade came up with Brian Bendis. Yeah, I think I that, that sort of started with him. But you read those issues mm-hmm. individually, and there's That's nothing. Fun. Right? No, I, I I agree with you on Ultimate Spider-Man. He tells arcs, and and Bendis is doing something right there because I can read the monthly Ultimate Spider-Man book and get a satisfying piece of story out of each month of that. Mm-hmm. So I'm not. I don't call that writing for the trade. Now, he might be packaging it into four, six, eight, or whatever kind of story arcs that ultimately will be traded, but that's going back to what Stan Lee was doing 30 years ago or any of these other writers because I can read. I I read Ultimate Fantastic Four. I read Ultimate X-Men. I read... Well, once again, I mean, uh, other than the Moon Knight, I mean, Moon Knight is an extreme example. I myself, I'm not bothered by it. I don't... And maybe it's just because I don't... I can appreciate the story for what it is while it's going. I don't need the instant gratification of of that. And then not I mean, I just personally I don't I don't necessarily need to have you're okay with everything being wrapped in that up. book. Not if every right. book was written like that, but for right. that title, you're okay. I, for that I title, think, that, I, I, I think that not every book is like that, though. I mean, I think that when somebody says writing for the trade as a pejorative, mm-hmm. right? That's the kind of one they're talking about. I don't certainly, think it's but universal. that that's been around for a long longer than sure. Moon Knight has. And I, I, yeah. my point was just that's I think just the we one put that a, comes. To I mind. think we just put a lot of emphasis on that and and use it as sort of a, a something to to hang our hat the, the, on when we want to complain about. Here's here's a point I wanted to make. It's people talk about writing for the trade as being a bad thing. I have come very accustomed to the six issue story, and I like it. I read Punisher Max every month. And all those are five and six issue stories. I really like that format. I read that also. I, en- I enjoy the format of you know what? For I don't ne- pay attention for the to it, next. Quite honestly, for, well, no, it, it, I, I mean, can't I, remember what I read last month. Most but, well, I mean, that, yeah, that's sort I, of, I like the idea of you know what? I'm going to get two really good stories this year, probably, and I'm going to find out about them, you know, six months at a time. So, you know, the yeah. idea, the idea of a writer saying, you know what? I'm going to do. 12 issues on this series and I'm either going to tell one or two stories and I'm going to do it for a year but and I, I'm going to tell my story. I like that. But I, I also think you can have a bad six issue story too just yeah, because six sure. or 12 yeah. issues I, isn't any sort of guarantee I don't consider Punisher Max written for the trade though because I read it monthly. and but, Yeah, exactly. But they're but all in like six issues. I, I understand that but what I'm saying is, is that when I hear written for the trade mm-hmm. used in a negative fashion, it's yeah. typically attached 
to those series that are written yeah. in a, There's a clumsy like fashion and, where it's yeah. not it's like it's not giving you that it, it's take solid a, take, chunk take of story a, take a, a, a two issue a two issue story and extend it I over I think six what issues. Bob's trying to say is like and I see what he means about Moon Knight you read Moon Knight and you get to the last page of the issue and it's not the end There's it's, nothing that that compels you to buy issue number 2 well, you're hoping he was going to get out of the house. Yeah, well... <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. He's going to get out. I mean, it's like... It's it's bad marketing to me, because any serialized thing that comes out on a monthly basis, if they're doing their job, in my opinion, they should leave you at the end of that issue with a desire to pick up the next issue. See, you read favorites. See, I just think we're conditioned to that. I think that we're just... I mean, look at a book like Love and Rockets. There's no... Ch- I mean... Most of those issues, there had no, you know, some were self-contained, but that went on for years See, and weren't. But each something issue like was Fables, very gratifying. You read something well, they like were entertaining, but they weren't necessarily mm-hmm. self-contained. I didn't stories I didn't, in yeah, any not, way. I don't think they have to be self-contained. There has to be a satisfying chunk of story that moves the characters along, that tells you something. Make it you, worth my three dollars. Make $3. it worth my three dollars. <laughs> and Moon Knight again. I, I don't want to harp on Moon Knight, but I mean, you're just sitting in a house like. For an issue with a well, bunch of weird okay. flashbacks and stuff, it's I didn't like, get that. It's like with fables. Value. You read fables and it makes sense in a trade. But you can read individual issues of fables, mm-hmm. and there's a beginning and an end. Right. And there's also a beginning and an end to five sets of the stories that all fit together. It's because exactly. Willing hands the hell right. Yeah, within those five stories. Right. But I don't pick up an issue of fables, get to the end of it, and be like, oh. Well, what, um, I don't. You, you know, don't like, feel ripped yeah. off. Yeah, I don't feel okay, like, what, why the last man? Yeah. Brian and Ex Machina. Brian K. Vaughn has turned into really kind. Of, he and Kirkman are the king of the cliffhanger. They write these great single issues within arcs that you know. It's almost like we were talking about at the very beginning about Spider-Man. Is that each issue was entertaining unto its own, but you had this great lead-in into the next issue. And I think those two writers, maybe more than any other writers out there right now, are, are amazing at weeding you into the next issue with a, a great hang at the end. Well, I mean, it's a classic element of comic book storytelling. Like I said, I just think we're pre- so preconditioned that anything outside of that we you know, instantly reject for some reason. But, I, I mean, the Moon Knight, I can understand why people may not like it, and not to go back to necessarily that book, but... Moon, and I do agree Moon. that I think I, it would be interesting to see, you know, publishers come out with direct-to-trade editions, but I don't think you're going to see it because they can't afford to take the chance on... It's a huge layout create, of Right, money. It's a, yeah, of money and, and time and effort and... and what if it doesn't work? Where you can put out a couple issues or something, and then you know if it, yeah, but, if, but it don't fails. be surprised if sales tremendously drop off after the first one, and you just hear a lot of people are waiting for the trade, quote unquote. Well, that certainly you know. happens, but then they just put out a press release that says they're canceling the book, and then there's a huge swell of fan support. Spider, <laughs> Spider Girl, Girl and, you know, and, and all right, guys, we we, we can and probably will have an entire episode dedicated to writing to the trade. Uh, I, I, I want to move As on always. here, and I want to talk about uh, more about the, the publicity and um, how how we as fans are, are, are buying comics. Now, um, before we wrap up, I want to talk about previews, and I want to talk about the news outlets. So... Um, Bob, talk about the the ruination. Yeah, the ruination. I don't see it as a ruination. Uninformed, uninformed asshole. (laughs) Well, 
when I first started reading comics, you know, I could genuinely be surprised by something that happened. I read Spider-Man number 100 off the rack, and I don't think... I'm not going to call spoiler on something that happened 35 years ago. Go, go, go I ahead. Haven't read, you know, I haven't got the, you. Tom's putting his earplugs in. Tom's putting his, Tom's putting his fingers in his ears over when here. When Stacy died. That was 121. Uh, <laughs> in Spider-Man Moron. 100, he gets he's trying to take a serum to cure himself of being Spider-Man, and he grows four extra arms. You read that cool. last panel and four extra arms sprout out of him and he's really like a spider he got his you know it's a great hero click by the way yeah and, they're just going to reverse but, that you know and they did reverse it a couple of yeah, two <laughs> of two issues are. later you know he gets rid of them but the interesting thing there was boy i was so floored when i turned the page and saw that happen and i wanted to come back and buy that next issue and find out what happened the next sure. month and it totally surprised me you don't but, get that anymore and now you have to go out of your way to not have stuff ruined for you three, four, five months before it even he, comes he, out. Here's a, here's a, I mean, here's a spoiler. Here's a spoiler. Here's a spoiler months. for Daredevil. So if you haven't read Daredevil in the last four issues, close your ears for a second. Um, how far in advance did you know that Foggy Nelson was dead? And how much did um, that piss you off? I had heard the rumors, and I, and I, but I didn't know it for a fact until I read there's it. Ru- there's a difference between rumor and solicitation. Uh, but they didn't solicit that Foggy was dead. Yes, a, they it, did. They did. Yes, the they did. They, if I, I don't want, they I don't want to ruin covers. this for you. But the Civil War director's cut leaks who the Daredevil is that's running around dressed you as Daredevil. Crap. So don't look, and if you ever see it, don't look because I know it will ruin for you, and I won't tell you You're who it is. You're crapping me. No, it does. It does. There's a thing that's where terrible. the civil the civil war director got to get their solicitations under control. It's not the solicitation. It's, it's it, written on the script that they printed in like huge letters. Or so <laughs> I saw. Well, but that could, yeah. but but at the same time they've done the man, isn't it? They've done that. Um, it's human fly. No. <laughs> they've done that kind of thing to Hal Jordan. Try. It's impossible to try and keep a secret. I mean, even if they didn't, even if it wasn't solicitations, something's you know you've seen it in movies and it's not impossible because I killed a man nearly, ten years ago and no, it's nearly it's impossible. But sorry, oh, I think, I think it does. I think delete it, that. Part. I think it does take Editing. effort on your part to not get you know surprised or to not get uh, spoiled by certain things. But you know, a perfect example I'm, is like. Fantastic Four or Ultimate Fantastic Four that came out this week, a great issue with I some pretty totally surpri- yeah shocking you know some pretty surprising things. Well, haven't read it yet. No, no, I'm not saying anything it in it. it Daredevil great, shows up, but a fantastic issue, a, 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 a top name writer and artist and book and everything else. I had no idea what was going on that that any of that was going to happen. No, yeah. I guess it's well, it's all it a matter of how much universally, it, and and I'm not trying to say that. I mean, I personally, <clears throat> in many cases, I don't mind the spoilers i don't get totally thrown off track by these things i mean i i didn't you know i know i said that foggy nelson thing and you had a vein pop out no, of your I, head i knew that. what i didn't i didn't <laughs> i know who the put my fingers in my ears and go la 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 you know before anytime any talked about the superman movie before it came out i mean i didn't really care i mean i'll go see a preview for a movie or things like that i'm just pointing out since the topic here was What's different now right. than 35 years ago? That's absolutely different sure. than 35 years ago because there was zero Stam, chance. It's Stam of, Comic Shop yeah. owners. They're the ones yeah. that... There was zero <laughs> chance of that stuff previews. happening this podcast. many years ago. Even, even 
20 years ago. You know, there was previews. Mm. I mean, previews has been around since the early but not 80s. not everybody bought I, it and read it. And, it well, and, I mean, previews would be, you know, Justice League number 220 is coming out. Do you want to order it? It didn't have an yeah. entire blurb. Right. <laughs> but it's Justice League is still coming exactly out. exactly <laughs> what's going on in the issue with a picture but of the cover. It's, it's a double-edged you know? sword that they, you know, on one end there's so much competition they have to they have try to and entice you to buy the books because there's so many more books on the on the shelf. But at the other side, you know, you take the risk of... And how could you, you know, not... To, for, for me, it was, I mean, it's like, okay, so even if I... Even though I knew Foggy Nelson was going to die... In the back of my head, I didn't go into that book and enjoy it any less. It didn't give me the oh shit moment that it should have. Yeah, but you didn't know exactly who was going to shiv him in the jail. He got shivved. Yeah, I guess I look at I guess I look at it a little differently. Is that I don't you know until it happens, and even when it does, sometimes I mean it's a comic book. It's yeah. I mean, I don't. I'm not twelve I mean, anymore. I don't. You know, it's like I don't. Anyway, well. So. No, I'm I don't 33, know. I and I take it much more seriously than I did when I was 12. I suppose so. <laughs> I guess I just don't. Um, no, I, I guess I just don't care as much yeah. about it. I, I mean, it's like it's to me. I like that story, and I it didn't matter to me that I knew going into it that he was going to die because I still didn't yeah. believe it. Well, until I actually saw his, you know his funeral, and and maybe I still don't believe what, it. You know maybe what, I mean? what I'd like I mean, to see is is a few more red herrings out there, just you know, to yeah. give me that to give you the illusion. The, well, they of, have yeah. done that a couple they of have. times, and I think mm-hmm. that's good. I mean, bottom line is I I don't get tremendously upset by spoilers, but you know it it basically is one of the big things now. That's different. You know, whether it sure. bothers you or not, you know, if you're a fan of comics now, you have to pretty much go out of your way well, yeah, to, not to not have things we, we crave information. It's, it's, it's yeah. you know, opposite ends of the spectrum. And I guess the same thing is true, you know, about all our life. So, you know, even, you know, back in the 60s, I mean, Rock Hudson was gay, and no one knew <laughs> oh, Rock Hudson spoilers. was... spoilers! Yeah. Jesus, yeah. I didn't know but, that. But, I mean... People kept that secret. Now it's like you know, Britney Spears can't put her kid in the car without a car seat, without it being on the front page of every sure. newspaper six hours later. You Mark know, Hudson's so gay? I think the society has changed somewhat in comics. I know you watch Giant, you never that. would imagine. Oh. All right, guys, Sorry, guys, guys we, we, okay. As the I Rock thought, Hudson as I thought was going to happen with this episode, we're talking about th- <laughs> Tom, Tom is Tom is, is really upset by this Rock here. Hudson thing. Next, you're going to tell me Liberace's gay. <laughs> Say, don't tell me Why about is everyone being. laughing so hard? As I thought was going to happen funny, with this <laughs> episode, <laughs> we've got 35 years of comic books that we can talk about, and we we could probably make this a 12-hour podcast. But well, we're getting there. We got it. We got to wrap this go. up. Um, okay, we're gonna we're gonna wrap this up with a final thought. Uh, I'm gonna start with Bob. Final thought: the single most important change or event. Or series in the last 35 years. Go. Uh, infinite uh, crisis on infinite Earths when they got rid of the parallel universes at DC. Post crisis, pre crisis. Um, Tom. Uh, when they stopped having letter columns all the time in comics for a while. Now they brought them back. All right. Which makes the difference. I love books with letters columns. Okay. So. The the disappearance and reappearance of yeah. letter columns. Yeah. Goofball. That's not even really an answer <laughs> that I gave. That's the only thing I could think of. Um, Sal, uh, biggest uh, event or change? Teenage Mutant work? Ninja Turtles. I think it wow. showed Ooh. the industry that. God damn it! I um, said that. That 
something besides the norm could really be successful, and it changed the industry completely, in my opinion. That's really good. Thank yeah. you. That's hey, um, yeah, I agree. Uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. You want another one, Tom? That I can no. Give you? I, I got another one, but I only I was only nah, given that. Right. Um, okay. Um, I'll I'll be very uh, cliche. Uh, the British Invasion and uh, Watchmen. Uh, I think that that was that, my other one. But yeah, that, that Watchmen and and the rest of the uh, uh, the influence of British writers in in comics has probably been for me as a reader the biggest most important change because that forced comics to grow up at a time that I was growing up. So uh, comics kind of grew up and evolved as, as I did. So um, guys, uh, great topic. We went over way too much and way not enough. So um, way, uh, way. way. So it's I quite think a that conundrum we're in. Right now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. How do you edit um, that, <laughs> guys? Uh, we're going to wrap up this topic. Uh, that means it's time to go over to the news desk, and it is time for the return of Wire to Wire comic news. Yeah. These are your top headlines for the week of July 10th, 2006. Fans of the classic horror and suspense comics of yesteryear will be happy to hear about the upcoming publication of Fiendish Fables, a new anthology releasing from Narwain in late August. Diamond Comic Distributors has highlighted the book with a certified cool ranking in their June previews catalog. Fiendish Fables is the brainchild of writer John Schlem Jr., who set out to create a collection of creepy tales inspired by the classic horror comics that define the genre. Anyone who's familiar with the timeless works of E.C. and Warren will recognize Schlem's use of storytelling techniques made famous by those pioneering publishers. Twist endings, cruel revenge, horrific irony, and tragic moral lessons. Fiendish Fables is suggested for mature readers and features 48 pages of beautifully grayscaled black and white artwork for $3.49. It is available in August. Neil Gaiman, the New York Times bestselling author, currently garnering massive amounts of critical praise for his latest comics work, The Eternals, is taking center stage in the newest issue of Marvel Spotlight, and it features an exclusive interview with the world-famous singer-songwriter Tori Amos, who dishes to Marvel Spotlight about her long-standing friendship and admiration for the writer. Tori Amos established a friendship with Neil Gaiman before her album Little Earthquakes made seismic shocks through the world of alternative music. Pick up the next issue of Marvel Spotlight to learn how Gaiman acted as a type of spiritual mentor and confidant to her, how they have referenced each other in their past works, and their hopes to collaborate in the future. Viper Comics has announced that they will release a limited edition, A Dummy's Guide to Danger number 1 variant, at the 2006 San Diego Comic Con. Painted with an almost Norman Rockwell-like stroke by Minnesota-based artist Scott Schomburg, the exclusive print will be limited to 150 copies. Combining elements of humor, mystery, and horror, the four-issue A Dummy's Guide to Danger centers on a private investigator and his partner, a paraplegic ventriloquist dummy that believes he was shot in the back by an assailant and has become crippled when the bullet lodged into his spine. Together since they were kids, the mismatched pair must now track down a gruesome killer known only as the Flesh Collector. 
For more information on Viper Comics and a Dummy's Guide to Danger, visit www.vipercomics.com. This September, we'll see the return of one of the most popular graphic novels of recent years, The Bone One Volume Edition. The massive 5 pound, 1300 page paperback by Jeff Smith is being brought back by popular demand. The paperback tome, which originally retailed for $39.95, has been out of print for more than a year and regularly sells for over $100 on eBay. The return was made possible by an arrangement between cartoon books and Scholastic slash Graphics, the current publisher of Bone. The original black and white Bone, one volume edition, debuted at Comic-Con International in San Diego in 2004 and sold 50,000 copies before being taken out of print the following year to make way for Scholastic's full-color versions. The one-volume edition has been named one of the ten greatest graphic novels of all time by Time Magazine, Book of the Year by the Comics Journal, and earned a starred review in Publishers Weekly. For more information and to see the complete new cover art, visit www.boneville.com. According to a report by Wizard Entertainment, Warren Ellis was quoted as saying Fell was cancelled. However, Mr. Ellis decided to clear matters up himself. This is quoted from WarrenEllis.com. The Wizard reporter, who was well outside comfortable earshot in my Sunday panel, said, Fans hoping for more volumes of Fell will be disappointed to learn that the author has no plans to return to the series. Ellis said, One is enough. I think it has got the ball rolling for other people. Casanova is out right now. I think there's going to be at least one more book in the Fell format in the next six months from Image. However, the question actually asked was, will you do any more books in the Fell format? Around Comics is glad to hear that Fell isn't going anywhere. The incredibly successful Marvel Zombies miniseries is now being collected in an oversized hardcover featuring an all-new cover. The cover of the hardcover features an all-new zombie homage to the cover of Secret Wars No. 1. The Marvel Zombies hardcover collects all five issues of the widely praised miniseries along with a host of extras. The oversized treatment includes every cover that graced the Marvel Zombies issues, including the variant covers of the multiple back-to-press issues along with the covers of the classic issues those covers pay homage to. Robert Kirkman and Sean Phillips took the spin-off from the Ultimate Fantastic Four where Earth was devastated by super-powered zombies and carried it to unexpected heights. Marvel Zombies hardcover is on sale August 9th and will retail for $19.99. Top Cow Productions is giving readers ultimate value and great reading for the bookshelf with its new compendium editions. The massive 1,248 page volumes will encapsulate years of great story and art in hardcover collections at the bargain price of only $49.99. The Compendium line launches in August as the Witchblade Compendium Volume 1 hits stores. Top Cow's acclaimed Witchblade 1 through 50 gets the deluxe treatment. The origin of Sarah Pizzini, the Witchblade Bearer, is revealed here along with 50 issues of great stories by top notch talent. One month later, the Tomb Raider Compendium will raid stores in September. Dan Jurgens, Andy Park, Michael Turner, Tony Daniel, and many more outstanding creators packed 50 issues worth of action into this volume with Tales of the Tomb Raider Laura Croft. 
In advance of February 2007's Darkness video game release, the Darkness Compendium will hit in October. Supernatural Mafia hitman Jackie Estacado oozes blood and power in tales by Garth Ennis, Paul Jenkins, Mark Silvestri, Joe Menendez, and more. These have been your top headlines. For the full version of these and other stories, go to www.aroundcomics.com, your source for the best in comics news, reviews, and opinions. Those are your top headlines for the week. This is actually a, a recap. We skipped a week for the news last week, so uh, we're going to uh, do a little catch-up here. Let's start off with uh, Fiendish Fables coming out from Narwain. Uh, our good friend uh, Dave Wachter has a uh, tremendous six-page story coming out in that, so we definitely wanted to give that some play. You guys have seen the, the preview pages. Are you excited about They're Fiendish gorgeous. Fables? They're gorgeous. Yeah, I think it's Dave's best work so far. I, I hope he does more horror stuff because I think... Uh got a great feel for yeah, it. I like yeah. it when he does that style that he's he used in that story. Yeah, when when he grayscales his own yeah. work, it, it's tremendous. And hey, it's a it's a anthology horror series, three and a half bucks, um, forty eight pages, a beautifully grayscaled black and white artwork. You, you can't beat it. So uh, <laughs> so uh, <laughs> if you uh, if you've liked Dave's work in Scar Tissue, it's even better than that. And from what he tells me, that the rest of the anthology is just tremendous. So um, definitely pre order. Uh, Fiendish Fables, if you have a chance. It was in the June previews, uh, June 06. 3277 was your preview code there. Ding! Uh, Neil, <laughs> this is one that I know Tom loved Ugh. because you posted a forum on it. Neil Gaiman and Tori Amos are, are quite <laughs> chummy with each other. God, that just figures. I, I don't <laughs> Neil Gaiman, honestly, you're hanging out with Tori Amos. I don't care how black of a leather jacket you wear or how <laughs> sad of a book you write. If you're hanging out with Tori Amos, you are a pussy. Oh, <laughs> wow. Ow. Well, Ow. it depends on I your won't. definition of hanging out, I guess. Little Earthquakes was a fantastic record. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> I, all, all I can say on this is that the only thing I can imagine more boring than maybe listening than this to story. Neil Gaiman is listening this to Tori Amos talking you, about Neil Gaiman. Can you imagine their conversation? Oh, I just... We're never going to get Neil Songs Gaiman on the show. Songs for Pele was no. great. No, Sandman was great. I love his work. I just, well, you know... For a dissenting opinion, I don't um, mind listening to Neil Gaiman, and I have some of his audiobooks and different things. Oh, well, now I look like a dick. Dick? Well, you are a dick. Sorry, We're just kidding. I like Tori Amos not, and no, Neil Gaiman. It would so be, that would have I, be, I don't I care about Neil Gaiman and Tori Amos together. I love 1602. <laughs> and I like the Little Earthquakes. All right, guys. Uh, Viper <laughs> Comics uh, is releasing a special edition, A Dummy's Guide to Danger. Uh, Bob, you're going to be out in San Diego. Are Damn you them, because I ordered number one from DCBS, and now I'll probably have to buy the variant yeah. at San Diego from these bastards. Get, get, get there early. If there is only collector. 150 copies, and now all 12 of our listeners know that, so there's only yeah. like 138. If you have you a know. limited run of 150 books that you're putting out at San Diego, you are pussies. <laughs> The people at Viper Comics are listening to this show. Save one of those for me. Send uh, one to us. 
Yeah, yeah. Dark Tower Comics. We'll give it to Bob. Uh, Bob? No, I'll be there. I, I, I'll be there in San Diego. I would so. love that. Please pick me up a copy okay. of that. I'll, I'll give you the money. There's only 150. Now. There's only 150. What do you think? I'll look he's for trying it. to get his get own. To, what if to. some kid is behind? Hopefully him they'll who be wants there on the right. Take it from that kid. Next, All right. issue. Next, um, next story. Bone. Bone fans. Yes. Yay. Um, Fifty thousand. Copies. Will you stop? And all bone fans are pussies, according to Tom Cater. <laughs> Good lord, Tom. Okay, there's that explicit tick. Yeah. Explicit. Yeah, we tag. went an hour forty without touching it. Thanks, and now Tom. Tom's just uh, blowing uh, up. Fucking, he's talking about cats. So, so Jeff Smith's bone. Uh, the the first printing of this sold fifty thousand copies, and now it is coming back to print. So, um, Bob, do you have the... I'm sure you I, have the I got first the hardcover of it at San Diego when it came out. There was a much more limited run of the hardcover of the one. Bob has Jeff Smith in a case. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's rated. Uh, interestingly, Jeff Smith kidding. used to do a lot more at San Diego. I mean, he's okay. kind of a celebrity now. He doesn't come it there. But I, I used to get the uh, hardcovers when they'd come out for that series as they came out, and I would get him to sign them every year at San well, Diego. Well, you know, you are a super collector, so are you going to take it to the next level and start collecting creators? Oh, yeah. I got Is that a, next? I have little uh, cryogenic capsules <laughs> in my garage. You're going to be you're gonna be sticking close to Carmen Infantino. <laughs> oh, jeez. Oh, hey, no. You're cruel, Tom. He knows that because I mentioned to Tom that <laughs> Carmine is going to be at San and Diego I, next week, and I, I will love be. Carmen Infantino. He well, I will say any any Bone fans should check out the yes. uh, the Bone his website, Jeff Smith's website, because it's Boneville. It's got, it's got some fascinating stories about his you know up and comings uh, when he was you know first putting out that book and no. and. No, this is a book that I have the Watchman. Watchman principle because I have the original issues, <laughs> I have the I have the hard covers, I have the you know the there was eight or ten of them. Then I have the one volume hardcover, I have the one volume soft cover that uh-huh. I got so that Jesus. I gave it to my Audiobook. kids so that they could read it. <laughs> and you're and wondering now, and you're now, wondering why single yeah. issues will never die. <laughs> <laughs> but then also now they're doing color hardcovers of it. From Scholastic books, and yeah, I'm getting the color graphics. ones. I'm getting the color ones when they come out too. I love Bone. So, all right, guys. Um, Wizard, who we are not <laughs> friends nor enemies of. I heard Fell was canceled. I yeah, uh, a lot of people heard that Fell was canceled. Really a Pulled story? a Spider Girl. Um, a news story. Really got a news story. Yeah, the, you know, don't don't believe everything that you read or hear, especially if it's on AroundComics.com. Um, but Amazing yeah. Spider-Man is getting canceled. Okay. <laughs> Sp- Spider-Girl is canceled. <laughs> all right, all right. And the story is that uh, a writer at Wizard website overheard Warren Ellis talking about Fell, and he misinterpreted what he said, and then he put up on their website that Fell was going to be canceled. Nice editing. But it's not. Fell is not being canceled. Fell is staying around, yeah. so... Um, Marvel Zombies is going to hardcover. Yay! I can finally read it. Yeah, they're they're gonna they're gonna reprint all of the covers, all of the variant covers. There's going to be a new cover for the hardcover. There was lots of cover. Wow. In a lot of coverage There's, in that cover. My, my story. driver's license has an alternate zombie version that uh, got printed. <laughs> That's not very funny. Now that I think they should do. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you are right, sir. Yeah. They should uh, they should do what they did with um. Like the super ultimate fifth edition of uh, of uh, day not Day of the Dead. What was that? 
Night of the Living Dead. Or Dawn no, of the Living no, Dead. No, Dawn no, of the Dead. Dead. Where are you going? Evil, Evil Dead. Evil Dead. Dead. The, the, the DVD they did like a... The, the, the Book of the Dead. Yeah, the Book of the Dead. The rubbery. leather, the fake leather or yeah, uh, flesh. <laughs> <laughs> well, so anyway, uh, oversized Anywho. hardcover of Marvel Zombies is coming out for uh, the very, I, I think, very nice price of $20, $19.99. It's considering yeah. Secret Wars costs like... This Thirty soft bucks, cover yeah. costs like twenty five yeah. bucks. Oh, the, fir- the first issue of Marvel Zombies is going for thirty five bucks yeah. now. I'm getting this just because I Holy have the crap, issues. I'm bringing mine in, but I didn't buy. You know, they put out so Mark, many second, yeah. third, fourth oh, printings oh, with different variant covers. Me. I don't buy variants. I got the first. So print. this is a way that I can get an all in one place all the different variant no, covers, which is well, the only reason why reasonable. you buy. Well, you know, what was great? What was great about those variant covers is that they were all zombie versions of classic Marvel comics. A lot of fun. Beautiful. Um, okay, uh, guys, Top Cow's releasing the Compendiums. The, the you, Witchblade on the You didn't need to collect your whole 100 issues of Witchblade. You could have just waited and they would have Chris, I found someone else in your boat. I'm Bob right here. Witchblade at 100. <laughs> <laughs> oh, jeez. We're, we're going to hug now. Yeah. You. Hey, it comes out this Wednesday. Chris, <laughs> I'm, you want to get a drink these. on Wednesday night to celebrate the I am the getting these issue. omnibuses, though. I mean, yeah, that's, the, you know, for the... The prices, you know, for 50 issues, 1,200 oh. pages. The Tomb Raider one came out, mm-hmm. The Darkness, and now Witchblade. Yeah, it, I mean, it's, it's 1,248 <laughs> pages, 50 bucks. Uh, Witchblade 1 through 50. And, you know, the, which, I'm okay, I'm sorry, but Witchblade 1 through 50, those are some damn good stories. At the time, I really enjoyed that series. The last 50, I really haven't read them. I still... I have no idea what they're. I have no idea what's going on. I stopped reading it for a long time. I started reading it again when Ron Mars Mm -hmm. started writing it, but it's. Yeah, I'm kind of done. I'm just waiting to see, like, the next... You know, everybody has their own sort of word for what their edition is. You know, absolute, compendium, Yeah. you know, omnibus. It's like, when is it, you know... How, when are they going to run out of... Soul you know, Crusher yeah. is the next series of... <laughs> it's the boom Soul Crusher sure, version of so, talent. So there you this go. thing will destroy you. It's bug. <laughs> All right. Um, guys, that is our news for the week. Uh, I'm glad to have it back, so I hope everyone enjoyed it. Uh, we'll, I would imagine next week we'll have uh, a whole nother load of news. I and hope then, so. And then the week after that, we're going to go crazy because it's going to be all of the San Diego yeah. Con we're gonna, announcements. We're going to go ape shit on you. Where, there you go again. You got to swear. Already, I or, what are you, I've a child? <laughs> you gotta I am like a child who's gotten the green <laughs> oh, light to talk. Right, you jokers. Okay, hey, I did want to uh-huh. mention one other news story that wasn't in the news, but it came out today, and I'm really excited about it, is the, uh, they're re- oh, redoing the EC comic yeah. hardcovers for 50 bucks. There's two of them, the weird Tales of Weird Science. I believe Science, you said that was like porn. Oh, I can't wait for oh, those, man. Colors? Yes. Yes, they yes. are I've in color. I've got all the uh, Russ Cochran one, you know, the whole yeah, they did, library yeah. that's all the oversized black and white ones. These are, these are... I talked to Bruce yeah. Rosenberger today, and he asked me the same thing. He's like, are they in color? I was like, yeah. He's like, oh, I've got all the black and white ones. Damn. Yeah, I, might, I might have, I mean, I don't know Son if I'm going to rebuy them all again, but you if, you don't, if you don't have them, I probably won't get them because I have the right. the black and whites. But you have all the original, you see? No, I don't, I don't have, I, I'm not that old, but... Um, I, I would recommend. I mean, that's some classic, oh, classic yeah. stuff. And if you don't have the black and white ones like Bruce R. and I, yeah, uh, well, I'm really they're definitely worth checking out. I, I, I just started, like, slowly collecting a few here and there of uh, EC comic stuff. And, it's, you know, they're hard to get and they're expensive. And, and so I'm really happy so I can stop doing that and just buy these instead. Oh, and they're going to look good on the bookshelf. Oh, yeah. And, hey, it's it's comic history. And it's it was... Hey. It, it, 
history. It is. It's history. <laughs> Embrace yeah. it. All, All right, right, guys. That's uh, that's our wire to wire news. Let's move away from the news desk. It is time for top of the stack. Top. Top of the stack. Of the stack. The stack. The stack. That's right, it's Top of the Stack. Our chance to let you, the listener, know what the panel has been reading for the last week. Who would like to go first with their Top Ooh, of the Stack? Me, 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 me. Oh. Mr. Cate. Tom had his hand up first. And he called me Mr. Cate. <laughs> Tom, what is your Top well, of the hey. Stack? Ultimate Fantastic Four, number 31, uh, by Fantastic. Millar and Land. Don't you spoil this book Miller. for me. I'm not going to spoil it for you. It's Miller, yeah, sorry. Uh, <laughs> I call him Millar. I picked this I solely for one huge reason reason the yeah. villains in the book actually tricked me as lo- as well as the <laughs> characters that they were trying to trick and very rarely does that happen in comics right sit there and go how did they do that and then say oh shit of course that's how they did it so i applaud that that's it was great to actually read a book where that i got surprised so yeah that's i totally top of the stack. Uh, same here i loved that book i thought it was great and the the, the thing the i thought end w- was oh great just too, fantastic yeah. and the thing I thought when I finished reading is like, God, I'm really gonna miss Mark Millar yeah. or Mark Miller. If you on like, that book. if you like the idea of the Fantastic Four, but you can't find a Fantastic Four book to read, like I have for many years, this book get the Miller run, run, yeah, which has been fantastic. Just great. And that's I, it. I'm that's really worried fantastic. about the the whole Ultimate one. All four. I love <laughs> Ultimate Fantastic Four and the Ultimates. Ultimate X Men, I can take it or leave it. I still get Since it. Since Robert Kirkman started writing it, it's, it's it's okay. It's not great. It's definitely not Kirkman's best stuff. And um, Ultimate Spider-Man, I still enjoy it, but I really look forward to Ultimate FF and Ultimates. I'm and Miller's leaving both of the books, and I'm bummed. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll see. Let's see what goes on with the next half of the stack. Who wants to go next? Um, Sal, uh, I picked uh, Ghost Rider number one um, mm-hmm. by uh, Daniel Way and Mark Teixeira. Um, I uh, am an old fan of Ghost Rider, and I really like this issue. I thought it, it had uh, a good feel for the character, the history of the character. Which, which Ghost Rider is it? Is it that, well, that's sort of the that question. Mini I don't. That I don't. Came out? Yes, and I did. I, I I didn't care for the mini that I stopped Enos buying that did. after issue two. So yeah. on your recommendation, I'll pick up I, this I, one because I, I hadn't ordered it. I didn't care for it either. I, and like I said, I I love the character Ghost Rider. Unfortunately, that character for some reason. Is hard to write because he's one of those characters whose concept is a little cooler than what he lends to a story or an ongoing story. Sort of like Silver Surfer, you know, cool concept. But, but I thought the, that that Daniel Way obviously had a, a good grasp on the history of the character, or the histories, I should say, because I don't. That's the only thing that bothered me about the book is I don't know what Ghost Rider is. It looks like the the Daniel Catch. Is that Dan, 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 Dan yeah, Catch? Yeah. Yeah. It looks like that is. Ghost Rider, the Spirit of Vengeance, but. I think it's Johnny Blaze. They haven't really said yet. Well, that'll make sense since the movie is coming out next year. It's yeah, be Johnny Blaze. But it so. didn't bother me so much. And and I thought that they did a really nice job of setting up what's going to come next and and giving him a better better characterization of because a lot of times with Ghost Rider it's like he's just this demonic creature that doesn't have a whole lot of personality other than I'm going to kick your ass or I'm pissed off because I'm Ghost Rider. Or I'm on fire and I look yeah, cool. But this I'm was so a tortured. bit more characterization of that character and, and developing that and developing the story where I think some really cool things. And it has Satan in it, which I really enjoyed. It's not like some demon pretending to be Satan. It's it is Satan. Satan. It is hell. It is Satan. And the whole... Con- and no I don't want to here. And the whole concept that they sort of introduced about 
that character and Satan and his power and what he's able to do and, and what hell is like was really interesting, too. So, Ghost Rider number one, I really liked it. Uh, Guest of Honor. Okay. <laughs> I have chosen uh, Batman Legends of the Dark Knight. Um, number 208 is out uh, this week. Uh-huh. And the first part should still be in the shops. It's a new arc uh, by Bruce Jones and Ariel Olivetti. And I had stopped buying Legends of the Dark Knight, and I started buying it again with 207. I really like Ariel Olivetti's art, and I think this is an artist that we'll be seeing more of. Uh, this is a good book if you like a Batman story. Um, actually, a lot of the Batman books, we're going to have a double Batman week this week, yes. but... Um, Double Batman, Legends of the Dark Knight, this arc. I haven't been uh, this excited about Batman books. I mean, that, that was something like Grand I always it was like you have this yeah. amazing character Batman, and you, for some reason Marvel put or I mean DC put like the worst writers and artists on it for years. And well, they, like, could, it, they didn't. They didn't, they didn't have, have to. to. Yeah. But now they're coming out. You know, yeah. it's like now I have good to buy stuff. Batman. I have to buy Detective because they're just yeah. going to be great. Uh, I, I, that's a good segue for me. Um, my top of the stack actually from last week. And we didn't have a chance to do it, so I carried it over because it was just that good. Is uh, Detective Comics number eight twenty one? And Yay. Mark, thank you very much. Uh, Mark, the manager here at Dark Tower, said you need to pick up this issue of Detective. It is uh, written by Paul uh, Denny. Is it Deeny? Deeny. I don't know. Uh, Paul I, don't, I don't know the man. Uh, and. Art by, yeah, he, he actually worked on the Batman uh, animated series. And uh, art is done by J.H. Williams III. And, uh, John to his friends. Yeah, John to his <laughs> friends. Uh, if you're familiar with uh, Desolation Jones, this is the same artist that uh, I fell in love with on Desolation Jones. And in uh, Detective Comics, takes it to a totally different level. Uh, Williams' art in this book is just absolutely stunning. I, I, I said earlier on the show I'm a graphic designer by trade, and I really enjoy when an artist is able to add a graphic element to their art uh, to take it beyond you know just your your, your standard sequential storytelling. And uh, Williams really adds a design element to his art, and it is, it is absolutely stunning. Uh, one of the things I really enjoyed a lot of the facial. Yeah, it's uh, Bob's pointing out there's uh, a page uh, uh, close to the front of the book that has a whole rogues gallery of Batman villains as, as he's trying to figure out who is behind this particular um, uh, crime that's going on uh, in Gotham. And he's thinking about all of the rogues gallery, and they're like in this you know big uh, daisy chain around the bat head as he's thinking about it. It's like, okay, it's not Ivy, it's not Joker, it's not, uh, you know, we have Two Face or whoever. Batman's Rogues Gallery. Did I say? Because <laughs> the Rogues Gallery, according to the DC Guide, belongs to uh, the Flash. So yeah. Just want to clear that up for everyone. Well, technically okay. though, it's there is All no right. Flash uh, right now. Um, he doesn't have a girl. One, one, oh. one last point on the art. Um, I I loved Williams. Um, hit a lot of his uh, um, facial uh, drawings, uh, almost a a Paul Pope aesthetic to them that I really enjoyed. If you liked uh, Batman Year 100, he, uh, he kind of echoes that a little bit. Uh, Paul Dini's story, what I, what I really liked about this more than anything else, self-contained, one story, and it was the best single-issue Batman crime story that I've read in years. It had all of the main components. It had Batman, it had Bruce Wayne, it had Alfred, 
had Robin, had a, a crime syndicate, Jim and, and a mystery. It had Jim Gordon. It was it was a a perfect single issue Batman story. And yeah, I talk about self contained. I mean that issue. You, you that's it. Yeah, but yeah. but at the same time, it it started developing other things that I think you'll see as the story progresses. Oh, yeah. You know. Yeah. And uh, uh, it was just it was just a, it was so refreshing to have a single issue Batman story that I didn't feel cheated on, and at the same time. Um, it, it played out perfectly. I felt like there was a beginning, a middle, and an end, and there was no cheating of the story. So um, if you haven't been reading Detective Comics, the um, uh, Paul Dini, J.H. Williams, uh, number 821, pick it up at your comic shop if it's still there. I really enjoyed it. Uh, we've got uh, a couple, actually three bonus top of the stacks this week. Uh, Matt Summer has been hanging out here in the shop. Uh, Matt, uh Real quick, what is your top of the stack this week? Well, Chris, this is literally this is a totally off-the-shelf random pick that I mm-hmm. just looked at <laughs> because it looks kind of cool. Yeah, <laughs> no, the cover is kind of interesting. No, um, this is uh, from Dark Horse Comics. I uh, called Scarlet Traces: The Great Game by Ian Edgington, someone I've never heard of before, and art by somebody named Disraeli, who again I thought was the Prime Minister of England, but <laughs> apparently he's a good artist as well. Um. This is a four-issue miniseries, uh, $2.99 per issue, and now you guys know I'm an English teacher, so I'm kind of a literature nerd, and basically the premise of the story is that um, it's it's another kind of sequel takeoff to War of the Worlds. Um, like, And there's been a bunch of those, like freaking Kill Raven as a sequel, supposedly, to War of the Worlds, but in this book, the, the basically the premise is, I guess, that in 1898, after the Martians all died, spoiler alert from the flu, um... <laughs> you know the the Brits, the Brits took those Martian ships and they took them apart and they took the technology and so they have a real advanced society. It's in the the, the story is set in 1938 or something and so they have really advanced technology. Um, they can travel to different worlds and the British army is involved right now. They're on Mars fighting against the Martians um, and it's kind of a weird whole V for Vendetta kind of conspiracy thing. Something strange is going on. Um, uh, the art design, the, the spaceships and everything kind of reminds me of uh, Crimson Skies, the board game or the Xbox game. I don't know if you guys ever played that, but... Art is really it's nice. Also, uh, it's, but it's a sequel to a, a original hardcover that came out a couple years ago. Oh, really? Yeah. There's, like, a, if you go on Barnes & Noble and search Scarlet Traces, it um, comes up. It was, like, a, like how that new League of Extraordinary Gentlemen's original graphic novel and hardcover, there's a... Scarlet Traces book like that, but I don't think you need to read that to understand that book. Well, I hope not. The first issue is, um, it, it is kind of disembo- uh, a little disorienting because you don't really know what the hell's going on so far, and it ends on a cliffhanger. But um, I don't know. Like I said, if you enjoyed stuff like uh, V for Vendetta, or if you want to see what happens next after the War of the Worlds, I guess. Nice, cool, Matt. Thank you for dropping by. As oh, always, no problem. Um, our next top of the stack is uh, uh, not even a comic top of the stack, but we have a. Uh, uh, another one of our, our buddies has dropped by the shop tonight to say howdy. Uh, Bernie Gonzalez, how are you doing, sir? Not too bad. How are you guys doing? All right. Uh, Bernie, we were, we were on the forums uh, th- this week, and uh, uh, there is a premiere from Sci-Fi Channel coming out, and you like this just about as much as I did, so let us know about your top of the stack. Yeah, very uh, 
very rarely do I actually geek out about something, and uh, once I found out about this, I just had to share it. It's uh, Mike Mignola's Amazing Screw On Head. It was a one-shot from Dark Horse released uh, a few years ago. It actually won the Eisner for Best uh, Humor One-Shot, and after that, gained some popularity in Hollywood, enough that they decided to translate it to the animated medium. It was made into a pilot. Unfortunately, that pilot got lost in development hell when they couldn't get an on-air deal for it. Uh, but now, I guess luckily for us, uh, we get to see it for free online because Sci-Fi Channel is airing it. It's a little over 22 minutes long, uh, but you can watch it. It's free. It's, uh, from what I understand, a pretty solid translation of the one-shot. And at the end, they have a survey you can fill out. I guess if they get enough uh, positive feedback, they'll try to translate it into an actual ongoing series. But it's a really good series. It's Magnola's Mag art uh, tr translated into the animated form. Uh, if you like humor along the lines of Hellboy, uh, Venture Brothers, then it's right up your alley. And it's free, so it's the best top of the stack on this episode anyways. It, it, was, it was a great translation of Bignola's art. And uh, and Bernie actually uh, posted on the forum uh, such uh, amazing lines as, uh, your pretty vengeance fetish will now have to do without Mr. Groin, is one uh, immortal line out of it, followed by my, my favorite, if by candy you mean ancient forbidden evil, then yes, I told you not to put it in your mouth. But also delivered by Paul Giamatti, David Hyde Pierce, and oh. guest star Molly Shannon. Uh, Chris didn't exactly give them too much credit as far as his impersonation. Uh, but it's David, really Hyde, so David Hyde Pierce in this is awesome. He, he is. He is. What was uh, 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 my favorite line is, uh, any last words before I spark one up? So, and you just have to watch the trailer. All right, you geeks. <laughs> so, amazing screw on head was amazing. So, please check that out. Um, we're gonna we're gonna leave you on top of the stack with a uh, a listener top of the stack. So, uh, if you are listening out there, you have some comics that you've been reading in the last month or so that you would like to spread the good word about. Uh, record it, send it in, and here's an audio top of the stack from our good friend, Mr. John Hook. Hello, my name is John Hook, and this is my listener, Top of the Stack. Uh, I will be reviewing Shadow Pact number two by DC Comics. Uh, Shadow Pact is uh, written and penciled by Bill Willingham. It is inked by Wayne Foucher, lettered by Pat Brousseau, colored by Chris Chuckery, and edited by Joey Cavallari. Shadow Pact is a spin-off title from the uh, miniseries Day of Vengeance from the Infinite Crisis. Uh, Shadow Pact, it's only at issue two. This is a great title for new readers to jump in on if they're looking for stories that have great story, and, you know, looking for comics with great story and great art. Uh, fans of Bill Willingham's, and not just of his Fables work, but especially of his old Elementals work from Kamiko, I think would greatly enjoy this title as well, since Bill is back to uh, back illustrating a comic as well as writing. Uh, and I'm a huge fan of Bill's artwork. Um, Shadow Pact uh, is only at the second uh, issue, so uh, a brief recap of issue number one is a uh, a, a magical team of villains known as the Pentacle uh, have come to a small town of Wyoming and have completely isolated that town in a magical bubble. 
Um, and no one, Superman, Green Lantern, no one was able to penetrate that bubble to get inside. And so the Phantom Stranger was able to come and uh, open up a doorway in the bubble just long enough for the Shadow Pack team to enter and get sealed up inside. Uh, and what's interesting about this title is it's running in two timelines uh, because DC is is running uh, two different t uh, storylines in their uh, books. The 52 weekly series, which is occurring a year ago and will we'll get eventually caught up, and then all the primary titles are occurring one year later. So uh, what's interesting is uh, the Phantom Stranger is uh, camped outside of this bubble waiting for the Shadow Pack team to hopefully come out victorious and it's one year later so we know for sure that the Shadow Pack team it spends at least a year inside that bubble but the storyline inside the bubble is a year ago uh, and so we're just seeing the beginnings of their uh, adventure inside that bubble uh, so it's really cool. The uh, The Shadow Pack team is uh, made up of uh, Nightmaster, Enchantress, Nightshade, Detective Chimp, Blue Devil, and Ragman. So this is a very interesting, eclectic group of uh, magical uh, characters. And they are facing off uh, a group of villains known as the Pentacle. And um, they're also a group of uh, characters that are very it seems very evenly matched to the uh, to the Shadow Pact, and it's even surmised that, and uh, wondered that maybe fate had a hand in creating the Shadow Pact team to combat the Pentacle in just this particular event. So we'll see how that unfolds. Um, I want to keep this review spoiler free because I do encourage anyone who's uh, remotely interested to please pick up this title and check it out. Again, it's only two issues into it, and you don't need to have um, the Day of Vengeance miniseries to fully understand this team. Although it would be interesting to have the Day of Vengeance because that way you get the you'll, you'll get an understanding of the origin of the Shadow Pack team. Uh, the Shadow Pack book itself is not covering the origin of the team because that was covered in the Day of Vengeance miniseries. So right from the get-go, you're able to get into a, uh, an action-adventure story where the team is already fully formed, fully developed, and they're going in and able to work uh, as a cohesive group, or at least as cohesive a group as they can be this early in their career. So that's about it. Um, I... Uh, highly recommend Shadow Pact, and it's a it's a great fun read, and I hope uh, everyone will give it a try. Uh, again, this is John Hook. This is my listener top of the stack for Shadow Pact number two. Thank you. All right, John, thank you very much for that top of the stack. Please check out Shadow Pack if you have not. Uh, guys, that's going to do it for uh, the meat of the show. Let's wrap things up with a few announcements. Uh, Mr. Caters. If you don't already know, we are proud members of the Comics Podcast Network. The CPN is a collection of the best comic book podcasts on the net. You can learn more about the network and find more great podcasts at comicpodcasts.com. And it is great. The Internet's very divisive, and I think you'll find a lot of very interesting and welcoming places at the network. So, 
And it's Comics <laughs> Podcast. Comics Podcast. Oh, sorry. Two S's. Comics S-S. Podcast. Plurals. Dot com. Dot, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Guys. It's like Whitehouse.com. Um, th- th- this, show, this show, probably more than any other for, for a little while. Um, thank you so much for the post this week. It gave us so much meat to go over on, on the topic. So thank you so much. Please go to AroundComics.com. Visit us at the forum. We post new episodes, uh, usually on every Tuesday, so you can chime in. It gives us a lot to talk about. Uh, is uh, makes it uh, possible for us to talk about things that you want us to discuss. So we get to be lazy. Yes, and we get to be lazy. Join our fantastic team of research monkeys. Yes. And I'd like to thank uh, Chris and Sal and Tom for having me here to the show. And I would love to thank them for introducing me to Dark Tower Comics. I <laughs> bought some things here, and I would highly recommend any comics-loving visitor to the Windy City to find their way here to Dark Tower Comics, because this is a very good comic shop. I've been in many comic shops in my life. A lot of them fall below the bar. This one sets a very high bar. It's very, good. very excellent you shop. You picked up uh, Fantastic Four... Number 36. <laughs> First series. Stan yeah. and Jack. <laughs> Uh, we'd like to, uh, um, and we'll thank Bob uh, here in just a second, but I do want to mention, uh, uh, thank you to the sponsor, YouBuyNow.com. YouBuyNow! Check them out. Uh, YouBuyNow! Um, a quick announcement. I, I will go ahead and let you know uh, what we're doing next week. We're going to have Scott Johnson on. Uh, he's a poster on our forum and yeah. an incredibly accomplished artist. Uh, he does a lot of licensing for Marvel and we're exclusively gonna, now yeah he, yeah he does he used to do um covers for like uh dnd games and different uh role-playing risk. game risk and mm-hmm. or risk, risk. not risk 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 and uh, but yeah now he does exclusive stuff for marvel scott uh, scott is, is fantastic if you're not painter. familiar with with scott's art please check his stuff out at uh, www.scottjohnsonart.com and scott will be here next week as we talk about licensing in comics um uh, bob it, it is first of all it's really awesome to meet you in person we've talked over the internet for a year or so now, and we Skype um, pretty often. It, it has been an absolute pleasure to yeah, have they you. They shook hands in the most masculine way possible, just yes. to paint a picture. It was, you know, <laughs> for the audience, yeah, chest yeah. bump. Well, no, I, I mean, I haven't talked about before on the forum a little bit of you know posting it, but um, yeah, it was fascinating to talk to somebody that's collected this long and and just your knowledge and your collection is unbelievable so I, thank I you for the being train. here was, I rode the great. train with Bob and he went over my pull list <laughs> he, about the he gets eye. a lot more than I do <laughs> <laughs> he gets a lot more but it was yeah. it was a real pleasure well, to well Bob yeah, and we didn't even say it's the beginning of the show Bob is um, a collector that I think we should all aspire to be in that he embraces old comics and sees them for what they are but at the same time, he is really dialed into comics today. has has not shunned modern comics. He just he loves comics as a medium. Yeah. I love indies. I love mainstream. I read manga. You know, I I like all different kinds of things. As long you as are it's good. all around comics. He, right. he, 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 <laughs> he is, is around comics. All right. On good that list. note, everyone have a fantastic week. Uh, we will be back again next Monday. Uh, make sure to tune in on Thursday. We have a, a midweek episode with uh, our good buddy John Suntress will be on. Uh, so we'll be back uh, next Monday with another full-length episode. In the meantime, we'll be everywhere in and, and around comics. Comics.
If you would like to suggest a topic, send us your comments, or are interested in becoming a panel member, email us at info at aroundcomics.com, or visit the Contact Us section of our website. For that, and the latest in comics news and opinions, go to www.aroundcomics.com. Music for this show provided by the Podshow Podsafe Music Network, music.podshow.com. Thank you for listening today, and remember to join us next week, where the panel will change, but our mission stays the same, bringing you the best in discussion, news, and reviews in and around comics. Comics.